Let's do it. Oh, episode 175. Woo. I've decided that football is better than the ballet, Hotshot Scott. Hotshot loves divisional weekend. No. I've been saying it for years. Oh Hotshot loves divisional weekend. Now, did I say it to you or did I say it to one of the other podcasters during the week on the patron shows that the NFL owes us a weekend? That we got we got a shit weekend last weekend, yeah. and they oh I don't know if I said it on episode one seventy four with Danny or with Slickhawk or can't remember you probably wouldn't remember because you don't listen to me so it doesn't really yeah. matter yeah well I don't watch sports or listen to the podcast so that's over oh, well two right one there, of those you know. is definitely true I'm not sure which one but <laughs> one of them I have a couple questions okay. I have a couple questions number one and you've probably heard these questions asked already. We're recording this after the 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 incredible festivities over the weekend. Ooh. And the Bills and Chiefs just ended a little bit ago from when we're recording this. Why with 13 seconds, if you're Josh Allen and you throw a touchdown with 13 seconds to go, why are you kicking the ball out of the end zone instead of squib kicking it and forcing the clock to expire a little bit? Why are you kicking the ball out of the end zone so that the Chiefs not only can start at the 35-yard line, but they can do so without a second clicking off the clock or ticking off the clock on the kick through the end zone. Why are we not squib kicking it and like jamming it into a, a guy that's up or making it, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about. Why, why yeah. are we not squib kicking it? I don't understand. Right, you, want, you want like the third string tight end who happens to Whatever. Like return to get it. Even if the guy back deep, he's not taking it back for a touchdown, but it's going to take five or six or six. They're going to have... Six seconds to go. They're going to be able to play one. It's going to be one of those lateral plays. They don't even have time for right. one play in a field goal, let alone two plays. That's my first question. What? Okay. What? Why is the Why is the special teams coach of the Bills not on the hook for this? Maybe he is on the hook. And then my second question is: Once they do that, they kick it out of the end zone, and you've got the. You still, it's thirteen seconds. And maybe the answer. Maybe I just answered my own question. The Bills are saying, oh, it's 13 seconds, Mitch. They shouldn't be able to score a field goal in 13 seconds. from right. the th Whether we kick it out of the end zone or not, they shouldn't <laughs> be able plays. to kick a field goal for 13 <laughs> seconds. And so that, that leads me to my second question is, remember the old days where a pass play, when you were trying to figure out whether you had enough time for one last play before the half and then kick the field goal? Remember when the, the magic number was eight seconds? Do you right. recall that? Yeah, it, that's about the time it would take for one passing play, right? That, that was kind of like the standard metric for coaches yeah. when they decide when they were deciding whether we had time for one last play. You had okay. to have eight seconds to have one last play, right? Yep. So how are they able to run two <laughs> plays, one for nineteen and one for twenty-five? Start not only do they start with thirteen seconds, they're able to call a timeout after the second play. With three seconds still left. I know. They ran two plays for 44 yards in 10 seconds. How is that? Who's running the clock? You're well, not supposed I, to be able to do that. <laughs> I know. That's the way I feel in basketball when apparently a guy can get a shot off with 0.7 seconds on the <laughs> clock or whatever. You know what I, I mean? I don't like, get it. That's not possible. That's I don't get it. That's not possible. I don't get it. Maybe the players are all so fast now. Everyone's just bigger, faster, no, stronger. No, 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 It used to no, take no. Largent like 20 minutes to get downfield and slow, you know, Zorn was throwing. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe somebody from Kansas City was running the clock. I don't know. You should not yeah. be able to run a play. They ran one play for 19. <laughs> And then they ran another play for 25, and they were able to do both of them 
in 10 seconds. Some home cooking there with the old scorekeeper or with the old uh, timekeeper you're Somebody saying? Somebody better check to see if the last name on the timekeeper was Reed or <laughs> right. Mahomes or Hill. Yeah. He does have that little brother that's always <laughs> hanging around. Maybe oh, they gave him a new God. job of running, running the clock. Anyway, it's episode 175 and you and I are still apart. Yes. This is a precautionary tale because people might remember that episode 174 last week was called the Mitch has COVID edition of Mitch Uncultured. Right. Mitch doesn't have COVID anymore. Woohoo! COVID has made its way through our family and our household. Oh, we it did eventually. We okay. think everybody is clear now. I think you would have been fine. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wear my mask over anyway, just trying to be respectful of the house. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, think and, you you know, I don't really see anyone. Because we were both kind of quarantined when we had it. So I think you would have been safe, but I, I figured... Yeah. Let's err on the side of caution. You be there. I'll be here for one more time, and we'll yeah. go for it. This is episode 175, Mitch Unfiltered. His name is Hotshot Scott. Do us a couple of solids, as the kids would say. Yeah, I don't think they say that. But go no, ahead. the kids no, don't no, say no. solids? Uh, 25 Who years ago, maybe. <laughs> uh, people our age, I don't know. Well, do it's us solid. a couple of solids. I just learned that term yesterday. Subscribe oh, wow. on whatever platform that you use. If you like Mitch Unfiltered, hit the subscribe button so that you get it delivered to your phone. Rate and review us. I know that we've been out for a long time now, almost four years or three-plus years, but it really does help when you go give us five stars or write a review. Trust me, guests, their PR people, the movie companies, the teams, they That's look right. at ratings. They, they look at reviews to gauge whether we're popular or we're not popular and whether their guests should come on. It really does help. It makes the show better. You have an opportunity to help make us a little bit better and a little more attractive in guests' eyes if you just rate and review us, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. like if you, if you go look at someone's podcast and there's like two reviews, you don't want to yeah. go on with some no. guy doing it out of his basement, you know. Yeah. You don't need that. So yeah, people do look and say, is yes. it even worth our time to go on? We send them the link. Yeah, I do every time. We, we, we send it, well, yeah, we... We send him the link. Both we, times. We, uh, we, you know, PR people, whatever. We send the link to the Mitch Unfiltered ratings and reviews yep. so that they can see that several thousand people have rated us five stars or whatever it is. So it helps. Uh, those are my two favors. I'm not asking a favor for you to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron because that costs $5. And I would not ask the favor. I wouldn't call that a favor. I'm offering. If you'd like to spend $5 a month, you get a lot of extra content, the Danny O'Neill's, the Slickhawks. And, ladies and gentlemen, this week, if you're a patron, you get the... It took months, ladies and gentlemen. It took months and months. <laughs> it did. Hot Shots' new musical special dropped on Saturday. And I just want to say, you choose who you profile. Yes. This is going to be the toughest one for me to set aside time to, I, if if I get through this, if I get to this one and I get through the whole thing, how long did it come out? How long has it come out? Well, it's part one. First oh of my all. god, really? <laughs> it's part oh, one. Yeah, and it was I think fifty four minutes, fifty three minutes, so not super long. I will. But I, I think. But hold on, I think sometimes the ones that you know, like you watch a documentary, you go, I don't know anything about this subject. Then when it's over, you're like, God, that was fascinating. So maybe you'll feel that way just because you don't know him. No, you still no, no. Might it's not. It's, it's not because I don't know him. Okay. So you did what? The lead singer of Def Leppard. His name is Joe Elliott. Yes. Okay. I, I, it's not that I don't know. I, I, I. It's true. I don't know who Joe Elliott is, and I don't really know who Def Leppard is. I just know that when I hear Def Leppard, there's no attraction. Okay. There's no 
There's no draw. There's no appeal to me. So okay. if I get through this one, you'll know I'm your biggest fan. If I can get through, if I can put aside the time to listen to both parts one. Have you already done part two or are you now going to start part two? Now, this is not going to be like David Lee Roth that came out four days later. Right. No, I'm 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 at the very beginning of that okay. one. So, okay. you know, this whole having a job thing really puts a damper on my music podcast time. So I am spending time to get these done, but it, it does take a little bit I longer. Understand. But I think my analogy was pretty good, though. When you a documentary that you're like, I don't, doesn't do anything for me. I don't know anything about the origins of Jelly Bellies. But then you watch it and you're like, that was awesome. I had no idea one guy invented it and then he sold his rights to okay. it and he got nothing. So, yeah, you might you might be interested See, in, I, even if you don't know the music. I tried to come up with an, an analogy of my own. Yeah. And I went to golf because you're a music guy. I'm a golf guy. So I'm figuring my golf fandom geekdom is kind of like your music fandom geekdom. Yeah. So I was thinking if I did this series of golf profiles of men... Uh-huh. And I chose Hale Irwin. Oh, yeah. Sure. Or I chose Lee Jansen. Hale Irwin oh. won the U.S. Open three times. I think yeah. Lee Jansen won the U.S. Open twice. Two, two guys that you would have little to no desire to hear about. If I decided to do an hour-long retrospective of Hale Irwin or Lee Jansen's career, how quickly would you run to listen? Yeah, it's almost not a fair fight because they don't play music. So at least I'm playing a lot of music for people. Yeah, so but I'd be, little... I'd be playing swing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that'd be you awesome. The, I'd be playing, you the man. You know, that's uh, that's good stuff. Baba Booey. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a good story, I would love it. I, you know, like, for instance, did you see the four-parter that came out about the Mets? It came yes. out. Uh, what, 1986? I think that's what, yeah. It was like. The 86 just, Mets with Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry? Yeah, it was a four part. It was yeah, really long. I, yeah, it was fantastic. Like I have fantastic. no love for the Mets. I don't give a crap. About, oh, that was awesome. But, oh, but come I on, I loved it. No, that's a terrible analogy. But that doesn't do anything for me. The Mets. What I, I care I'm about not, the Mets. I'm not saying that it does anything for it you. It's a that, great that, story. That's a huge. That's one of the most incredible stories in Major League Baseball history. Is Def okay. Leppard one of the great stories in the history of music? It's up there. Is it? It's really? It's up there. Really? Well, they've okay. had some, some some real tragedy and. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not, maybe it's not as good as that story, but they've had a lot of loss in their life, some real heartbreak, okay. and right. they managed to sort of fight their way through it and stay together. And yeah, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, get uh, to it. Uh, I, <laughs> episode one hundred. <laughs> I better get to it before leave, you do part leave two. us and go listen for God's sakes. <laughs> episode one hundred and seventy-five of Mitch Unfiltered. Mitch no longer has COVID. Uh, let me tell you about the three guests, and then we'll get right into it because there's a lot to talk about. Tons from. From what we just watched over the weekend to the Seahawks and to a, a defensive coordinator candidate, I got a lot to throw at you. In segment number one, we got obviously a lot of other stuff in the last segment. And in between, there'll be three guests. Okay. Guest number one, you know. Guest number two, you know of. Okay. Guest number three, you've never heard of, but you'll be interested in. Gotcha. Okay. Like Joe Elliott, as a matter of fact. Huh? Like Joe Elliott. No, not like, not like Joe <laughs> Okay, all right. Guest number one, 10,000, over 10,000 yards as a three-year starter as quarterback of the University of Washington. Oh. Major health scare recently, a story that's very important for all of our listeners, especially men to hear. He is Cody Pickett. Yes, Former dog, who you've always told me is one of the most underrated quarterbacks, maybe the most underrated quarterback in Washington history. I agree with that. He just never gets said it. named with all those great 
No. Washington quarterbacks. You just never, like, people will give you Sonny Sixkiller, yeah. who's a nice guy <laughs> who everyone loves. Yeah. But I don't think his stats are even where, anywhere. I haven't looked, but he can't have 10,000 no. yards like Cody no, Pickett, no, right? This, this guy is second all time. Right. I mean, he's so second yeah, he all just time. How never about this? gets in that group. How about this? He's second all time, I think, to Jake Browning. But here's one for you on Cody Pickett. Of the four greatest statistical days, now when I say greatest statistical days, obviously, Tuyasa Sopo had that 300, what was it, 300, 200 oh, game yep. at Stanford? Was it Stanford? Yep. Okay, it was at home against okay. Stanford, yeah. But when I say greatest statistical days, I'm talking about from, throw, from a throwing the football perspective. Okay. Of the four greatest days in the history of the University of Washington, Cody Pickett has numbers one, two, and four. Three wow. of the four best <laughs> days in the history of the program, Cody Pickett owns. So there you go. And he, and he, he can't buy his way into that, no. that cool person group yeah. of all those cool, like, you know. And I uh, talked to him about that. Oh, you did? Okay. And he wants me to, to start to carry the flag. He wants me to, <laughs> to change things up here. So Nice. Let's do it. So, he's, so I said, guest number one, you know. Yep. Guest number two, you know of. Of, uh, yep. And guest number three, you won't know at all, but you'll be interested in the story. Guest number two is a guy named Joe Lenardi. Do you know who the name? Do you know the name Joe Lenardi? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. What's college basketball season without Joe Lenardi? Right. 30 years ago, Joe Lenardi was like a PR guy at St. Joe's University, and he was writing some stuff for something called Blue Ribbon Basketball, and they were trying to preview all of the teams in the NCAA tournament, but they had to do it in advance. Okay. And they didn't know who the 64 teams were going to be in the tournament. Okay. So, and it cost them a lot of money to do 100, to profile 100 teams sure. and then take the 64 that made the tournament. <laughs> so somebody said to him, Joe, why don't you try to project? Why don't you try to predict who the 64 teams are going to be? The most okay. organic thing fell in his lap. So he started, and all of a sudden, it became literally a national phenomenon. Everybody, there's thousands of these guys that do it now. Right. He's the originator of that process that they call bracketology, and he's going to tell yeah. he's going to tell the story. This is not to have him on to find out what Washington seed would be right now in the NCAA tournament. Okay. <laughs> Can't even get that out with a straight face. But yes. <laughs> this is the, he wrote a book. I've known him for years. He used to do a regular show with me on KJR. Back when he wasn't as famous as he is now, now he has no time. And so <laughs> we got together because of this book, and we talked about the origins of the story and some of the funny things that have happened along the way where coaches have disliked him oh, and sure. student bodies have disliked him. And <laughs> yeah, right. He's very unpopular with a lot of people. Let's just put it that way. He's so. probably unpopular with most because who is, I mean, he doesn't pick your team every year. So at some point you're not going to like right, him, right? Right. You can't win. You can't win if you're Joe Lenardi. You got to piss right. everybody off. He's guest number two, ESPN and Great. the inventor of bracketology. So there's the guy that you know, and there's the guy that you know of. And then number three is a guy by the name of Vinny Moliulo. Okay. Who, who you've never heard of before. Correct. Do you remember how old, well, you were around in 1994. In fact, you started at the station about 1994, 90- 95 yes. right right uh, like like summer of 95 can you June re- of 95 can you remember a story uh, i think you know it because you saw the documentary can you remember a story in the world of college basketball in 1994 where an arizona state sharpshooter great player future nba player was shaving yeah. points what was his nickname 
Oh, I don't nickname. I think it was Stephen Smith was his name. Yeah. He was shaving points. That's he was, right. Yeah. He, he was on the take. He was getting money from uh, from people at the school and 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 he was he was intentionally not losing games, but he was making sure that Arizona State didn't cover in Pac-12 <laughs> games in 1994. And he was really good, right? Like he, he was, was great. Capable of he was controlling great. He was, was going to be a fir- to. he was yeah he was going to be a first yeah. round draft choice and he he accumulated a big gambling debt. Who of us haven't? He uh, <laughs> right. he he accumulated a big gambling debt while he was a college student betting on football at Arizona State. In fact, I think he was down ten thousand dollars to a bookie at Arizona State, and the bookie said to him, "I don't want to give away too much of the story." The bookie said to him, "Listen, I'll I'll erase your ten thousand dollar." Debt, I'm and listening. I'll, and I'll give you another ten thousand dollars. <laughs> okay. If you just make sure that when you play Oregon State tonight, you guys don't win by more than eight. Okay. And he set up by more than eight. Nope, no problem. No problem. And yeah. they won by like four. And oh. then he did it again. And then he did it again for more money. And then he did it. And it all came to a head. Interesting <laughs> enough, funny enough, it all came to a head in the final game of the regular season of the Pac-10. In 1994, when Arizona State yeah. hosted the University of Washington. <laughs> really? The whole thing <laughs> blew up in his face. Oh, no. So Vinny Moliulo was one of the Vegas book guys, one of the operators of either Caesars or, you know, Caesars Palace or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He was one of these guys that started noticing a lot of money was coming in anti-Arizona State on every game. People were bringing, oh. he says, literally, guys from Arizona State, students with Arizona State t-shirts on, <laughs> were bringing duffels, duffel bags full of money right, and putting it all against their team that they were wearing the t-shirt for. Wow. Is yeah. that because he had to maybe spread the money out with different people? Because if you come in with one big bet, does that draw more attention or did that not There's no in? proof, by the way, that he was betting it. It wasn't his money. It wasn't the right. guy's money. Is that what you're asking? Well, no, but it, it was somebody's money. It was the, the yeah, bookie they, who was behind it. Yeah, it, well, it was a lot of by, by the by, by the time this got to the fourth game, yeah. there was a ton of people. There was like organized crime. Organized okay. crime was betting money God. on. And yes, they weren't going to one casino. They were they were getting to the limit. They were betting limits on each casino. Gotcha. They were going all over. And and all these guys like Vinny Maliulo were calling each other going, what the hell? Are you getting a lot of anti-Arizona state money? Yeah. We're <laughs> and, and we're like, what the hell's going on here? He's uh, pre-computer they went down too because I'm sure yes, now they have algorithms yeah. for all yeah, that. Yeah. That was just a guy's hunch. Or like he just happened to catch like a red flag, you right, know? Right, right. Like, don't you feel like those days are kind of sadly over? You can't get away with anything anymore. The cameras are everywhere. They got algorithm. You'll get popped. I, I was watching Real Housewives. Don't judge me. And there was a woman on there who eventually she's now she got indicted for money stuff. I don't know. But she said she got flagged. I think it was at uh, Chanel or one of the got flagged for using cash all the time. Like you can't even use American currency as much as you want because to them that's looked at as unusual behavior. So the days of doing this kind of stuff are just completely was over. Was her last name Tepper? Wasn't Tepper known for using cash? <laughs> he does love a nice cash, he, or at least he, he likes used to. It. Yeah. No, co- coincidentally enough, her husband is an assistant coach at the University of Utah football team. Ah. Uh, yeah. Ms. So, coach Shaw, by Anyway, the way. so Vinny Maliulo tells the story of what happened in 1994, and we actually get into what you just asked, which is, now, could it ever happen again? Yeah. Could something like that? You know, in those days, there was no sports and gam- sports and gambling were not connected. That's a new thing. 
There were no teams in Vegas. There were no NFL teams in Vegas. Now, the NBA's partnering up. The NFL's part. Everybody's partnering up with gambling. They're bringing yeah. teams to Vegas. There's an NHL team. There's an NFL team. So we talk about at the end of the interview, could this ever happen again? Do you think that somebody will be tempted enough to be able to try to beat the system ever again? I just don't know. I mean, maybe there's an answer. I just don't know how I would even start to evade every camera and every computer algorithm. I don't even know how you would do it. I just, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Three guests, Cody Pickett, Joe Lenardi, Vinny Molulo on episode 175. So a really good show, Hot Shot, and guests. And while I still sound shaky, I am COVID-free. A couple of words about our partners. Daniel's Broiler for Valentine's Day, always a hit. So much so that it's tough to get a spot at any of the four locations now on Monday the 14th. So why not that Friday or Saturday? Remember, Sunday is the Super Bowl this year. Make your reservations, danielsbroiler.com. Fireside Home Solutions. We had 25 winners in the Beat the Boys, thanks to John Waterstrat's team. Is there a better time than now to look into a new fireplace for the winter? And garage doors, too. Start your search, firesidehomesolutions.com. The brand-new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, one of the nation's premier mortgage companies, Jordan Flowers team, killing it. Great refinance opportunities available. Call them directly. Jordan, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisor, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. And the Levy family loves Zeke's Pizza. We've been ordering it to the house frequently the last few weeks with COVID passing through here. Incredible craft beer selection. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have pizza and beer and salads at your door in no time. Homegrown in the Northwest. This is episode 175 and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Here's the new thing that pisses yeah. Mitch off. If I have to hear that one more time, if somebody writes or says that one more time, we're going to run it back. Let's run yeah. it back with these guys. Shut the F up. Please, let's say do over. Let's say let's do it again or play it again, Sam, like Woody Allen or something. Unfiltered. We could trade him. We could let the contract expire and let him walk. Or we could sign him. Those are pretty much the, or we can cut him. Those are pretty much the four options. But you got to know what each option comes with. And to do that, you got to have these conversations, hard conversations with other teams about what they'll give up for the guy. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 175. Hot shots got my dear friend Scott Soden not in the house. In his house. Well, I mean, hypothetically, I'm in the house, as yes. the kids used to say 25 years ago. Yes. But was it was that four, count them four, walk-off wins in the NFL playoffs over the weekend? Walk-off wins. How fun is that? Love the term. Love watching a game where there's a walk-off win. Why do you do, why do, you do this? <laughs> well, we just got done bitching about it, and it turns out there were four of them just to shove right in your face. Four games with game-winning plays at <laughs> okay. the end, okay? That's right. That's Four right. games, unbelievable. All kidding aside, how is this not the best weekend in NFL history? Yeah, I haven't gone back and looked, but I, how, I don't know how you could do better. It's got to be the best weekend in NFL history. Four games, four underdog road winners, both one seeds with bye weeks the week before. They lose at home. 
three game-winning field goals on the last play, and then a game-winning touchdown in overtime after the previous teams. I don't even want to go. I mean, the, the Kansas City Chiefs-Buffalo <laughs> Bills game was so whacked out, was so incredible. What an end to a weekend. Amazing. I mean, how much of this stuff did you watch? I watched just about all of it. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I watched that last game on my phone. Yeah. But I was looking at it really hard on my phone. No, I, I was at dinner for like the last five minutes of the game. And I, I'm yelling to myself, my wife and daughter, they don't, they don't give two shits about this stuff. But I'm, I'm like yelling, oh my God, he just scored. Did he seriously just score? And there's nobody around. No one cares. I'm just yelling to myself. But it was incredible. It was amazing. That, that was Tyreek Hill, that, that play. Unbelievable, right? Too quick, I mean, you and, Too quick. You and I you and I have always said he looks like the fastest player in the NFL. I don't know sure if he does. is, but wow, he looked like the fastest player in the NFL on that play, didn't he? Are we sure that DK could beat him in a race? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't, don't know. He, he looks so fast. I don't think he can. I, I mean, were, were, he you can. Going, were, were you doing, I was doing like, oh, he's going to get the first down. Oh, wait a minute. No one's even going to put a hand on him. Like, yes. I was just looking for the first down. Next thing you know, he's just gone. And then God, immediately after he was gone, I looked down at the clock and there was a minute to go and I said, this is the best thing that ever happened to the Bills because the Chiefs were going to go down and score and not leave any time left, and yet they left one minute. Little <laughs> did I know it was enough time for both the Bills and the Chiefs to <laughs> score again. You already counted out it the Bills from being able to score, but yet they both score. You realize that in the final one minute and 54 seconds of that game, 25 points was scored? Wow. 25 That's points incredible. in a minute and 54 seconds. You realize... How many yards do you think Patrick Mahomes threw inside of the two-minute warning? So from the two-minute warning to the end of the game, how many yards did Patrick Mahomes throw for? I have no I mean. 177 yards from the two-minute <laughs> warning to the end of the game. Now, if you extrapolate that out, had he thrown that many yards every two minutes of the game, how many yards would he have thrown for? That's incredible. God, yeah. almost 200 yards in two minutes. 30 times that is the yeah. answer to the question. Uh, if you really want to know the answer to the question. And then I, I asked the questions at the beginning. I'll ask them again. A, why did the Bills not squib kick the kickoff with 13? I think the game's over. They win. Yeah, they the only thing I could come up with is maybe they'd say, we, we just didn't want to give them extra yards. Like, you don't want to give them any. Like, if you kick it, maybe they bring it back to the 40. And I don't know. It just seems like. Okay, so here's my two question. My two follow-up questions to that is, would you rather give it to them at the 40 if they bring it back to the 40 and you squib kick it down to, towards the goal line, that's going to take about eight. That's going to take eight or 10 seconds. There's yeah. literally going to be two seconds to go if they get back to the 40. Now, I think their answer would be, I don't want number 10 to get it. Maybe he was back there. Maybe yeah. somebody else was back. I don't know. I just, I, I'm not giving them the, the, giving them the ball at the 35 yard line. But with 13, 13 seconds. Sec yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> That's nothing, 13 it's seconds. Oh it's my. You got to make one or two defensive it's stops. It's so true. It's amazing. It's incredible. Four incredible games. All four road teams win. Yeah. All four road underdogs win on the final play of all four games. You just simply cannot do better than that. I was talking to one of the dads at Piper's game, and I said, what a great weekend. He's like, oh, you must really like, you know, the, the underdogs or the – I was like, no, I, I just wanted to see a good game. I don't care who won. And that no, yeah, four. So it, it was two for two yeah. on Saturday. I'm like, all right, here we go. Two for two. Now I'm sure one will suck on Sunday, but maybe we'll get another good one. We're three for three. Well, one, and looked, they, one was supposed to, one looked like it yeah, was going to suck. It was 27-3. Yeah, the game right? was over, right? It was over. Three, like, yeah. We're yeah. driving to Piper's game and I, I tell Megan again, they don't care. I was like, look, Tom Brady's out. 
He's getting his butt kicked. Maybe Father Time finally caught up with him. At some point, it's freaking tied. And we're like, well, this is Tom Brady. This is what he does. Amazing, right? Unreal, yep. And then a guy from Eastern Washington University. Heard of him. Who, by the way, is not only the best wide receiver in the... A guy from Eastern... A white guy from Eastern Washington University is the best wide receiver (laughs) in the National Football League. More receptions, more yards, more touchdowns. He won the triple crown... Right. of wide receivers, he gets deep. The one thing that he's not is really fast, like straight line fast, and yet he gets behind the safety of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Unreal. after the Buccaneers do all that they do to tie. Apparently, the explanation is we blitzed and the word didn't get to all of our defenders. Not everybody knew that we were blitzing. <laughs> right. It so would it would okay. help if everybody knew. Bruce Arian said after the game, we messed up. We called a blitz and not everybody on the field knew that we were blitzing. And uh, he got behind our safety, and the rest, as they say, is it. He gets behind the safety. How do you feel if you're the safety? Win- Winfield's son, the Winfield that used to play for the, the Vikings. I think he was here for a cup of coffee. Winfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I remember His that. His son is the safety that gets beat over the top. And Well, oh I would tell God. him to get in a long line of oh people who have been God. beat by Cooper Cup. I mean, it was just nice to see him do it against a team, not call the Seahawks for once. Oh. He just torches everybody, apparently. He's the greatest receiver who ever lived. I know, mean, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, Incredible. there was a guy, on, a guy on Twitter said, you know, he goes, they should maybe start by putting somebody on Cooper Cup. And that was before that last <laughs> one he had. And then he tweeted me again and said, yeah, I guess they didn't listen to us. Can anyone guard him? And by the way, all that happened on Sunday, Hotshot. And all that happened on Saturday was both number one seeds who had a bye week last week. Yeah. Went out on their home fields on Saturday and both lost, lost to underdogs. And in fact, in the Packers case, I mean, at least the Titans and I don't, I, you know, I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a couple shots here at the Packers. Okay. I guess I should be taking the same shots at the Titans. But at least the Titans lost to a team with a quarterback, an up-and-coming young quarterback named Joe Burrow, who who threw for 300 yards. The Packers Packers lost at Lambeau Field to a team with a lousy quarterback who threw for 100 (laughs) yards in the game. (laughs) Think about 100 that. yards. He threw yeah. for 100 yards. Right. Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo threw for 100 yards. It's crazy. In the game. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Now, should be ashamed of themselves. I, I mean, you watched it. Everybody watched it late Saturday night. I I think that there's no chance that the Niners win. Those weather conditions changed the entire scope of that game. I, I truly believe that. Okay. The only thing that was going to give the 49ers a chance to win was a set of weather conditions that made it where Jimmy Garoppolo did not have to play well. And that's what happened. I think the the frozen field, the wind, the cold, the snow made it more of a defensive football game and made it such that Jimmy Garoppolo did not have to have a good game. Because Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't care what you say. I don't care if he goes out and beats the Rams and then wins the Super Bowl. He's terrible. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible. I have people literally tweeting me that Jimmy Garoppolo played a good game. He played a good game. He threw for 100 freaking yards, Yeah. no touchdowns, an interception, and put two or three up in jeopardy of being intercepted. This is how bad he is. He's so bad that people thought that he played a good game on Saturday right. night. <laughs> he played no game on Saturday night. Yeah. So I think the weather conditions had a lot to do with that. Having said all that, even with the weather conditions, it took a special teams disaster, a blocked punt, unreal, 
and a return for a touchdown. And by the way, in real time, I'm watching that and I'm saying to myself, they better return this for it, it wasn't enough that they blocked the punt. And right, they picked they it might up not even game. get it in, right? I, I, didn't, yeah. think, I didn't think they were going to get it in. I was like, right. <laughs> they, if they want to win yeah. this game, they better not only block the punt. They got to pick it up at the eight-yard line and run it in. Yeah, if the Packers, the because if the Packers tackle them at the five or six or seven, I don't trust that the Niners even get in the end zone right there. Right. But they block the punt. Special teams disaster. So fun. The guy picks up the ball and then he goes for a touchdown, and and that only ties the game. Then. The Niners get it, and the Packers can't stop. I mean, this was a choke job of epic proportions. Yeah. This is an absolute choke job. The Packers, the 49ers have the ball at 10-10 late in regulation or whatever it was, overtime? Regulation. Yeah. And they've got it on third. This is how little faith Kyle Shanahan had in Joey Garoppolo. Okay. They've got the ball. You watch the game, right? Mm -hmm. They've got the ball at 10-10. There's like 30 seconds to go in the game. They're at the 38-yard line, so they're not in field goal range. There's no way Robbie Gold's going to go out there and kick a 55-yard field goal or 56-yard field goal in that weather, on that field, on that night. They're at the 38-yard line on third and seven. And what do the 49ers do? They don't even trust Garoppolo to throw the ball there. They run a draw play. <laughs> All right. They run a draw play on third and seven from their own from the 38 of the Packers. Yeah. He wouldn't even let the dude throw. And what happens on the draw play? The Packers can't stop it. That goes for eight or nine or ten yards to put him in field goal range. Maybe it was a genius call on offense. Maybe he saw something there. That well, he did give it to his best player, <laughs> uh, Debo Samuel. He's the best player on the – well, maybe not on the field, but he's certainly the best player on the on 49ers. But come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on. You're the Green Bay Packers, and you can't stop a running play? From the 38-yard line with the game on the line, you can't stop a drop play? About three guys had a chance to knock him down. He was hit in the hole. It wasn't like they gashed him and there was a wide open. He wasn't touched right. for eight or ten yards. There were people in position to make a play on him, and nobody could make a play to save that. Just an utter choke job by the Green Bay Packers, which brings me to the question of the first segment. Here's my, here's my question to you as a Seahawks fan. Okay. What's worse? Who feels worse? Having a shit season like the Seahawks did or having a really good season being the number one seed and then in your first playoff game at home, you can't beat an underdog team, a wild card team that comes in with Jimmy frickin' Garoppolo throwing for 100 yards. You can't win that game and you're out. You're out after the first playoff game at home. What's worse? Right. That's the age-old question with fans. For me, I like being invited to the party. I mean, I, I sat through those Sonics number one seeds of losing to you know the Nuggets and the Lakers. Yeah, it sucks, but not making the playoffs. Just... That that just hurts. Just not being not being good enough to even get invited to the party of the playoffs. So yeah, I mean they they both hurt obviously, but I like to at least be in the playoffs. And if your team chokes, your team chokes. Really? Yeah. I'm I mean, gonna give on, you. Was, I'm gonna give you ten seconds of podcast time. And I, oh, I, good. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I want to do ten seconds of silence here. I'm gonna try something out. That's hard for me. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but you have to do me. A solid. You have to do me a favor here. Oh, here we go. You have to do me a favor here before we put this conversation to bed. You have to take 10 quiet seconds oh. and truly think about what we would be talking about and how we would feel if the number one seeded 12 or 13 win Seattle Seahawks in their first playoff game as the number one seed in the NFC and the and the Super Bowl favorites in the NFC, 
would have lost like the Packers did on Saturday night to the 49ers and a quarterback that threw for 100 freaking yards. All right, 10 seconds. Think about what we would be talking about, how the tenor of this conversation, and how we would feel, and then I'm going to ask you the question again. 10 whole seconds? 10 seconds. Ugh. Okay. You remember sports radio? Kinda. You remember Explain. what those you you remember what those days were like after regular season losses, those Monday mornings after regular season losses. Tell me about these shows, this podcast. The next week, two weeks, three weeks of sports radio after they lost at home as the number 1 seed after all that they did during the regular season. How fun would it have been doing a sports radio show when you lose to the Bears and you lose to other crappy teams and you don't make the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's the kind of a, yes, yes, it would suck. If you're the number one seed and you lose, you're getting crushed for like two weeks from, from fans. But has there been a whole year of that, of fans being pissed off because they're not good and that it can't make the playoffs? But the depth of sorrow... Hold on, that's a pretty good lyric. Let me write that down for a song. I the like that. depth of sorrow, Hotshot Scott. <laughs> right. We would spend years thinking about how, remember the year 2021, where this, I, I don't know that we're going to spend years sulking about whatever they were, 5 and 12 or whatever, whatever their record yeah. was. Yeah, it sucked going through it, but you get over it. I don't know that you ever get over being the one seed and losing in the first playoff game at home to a quarterback that threw for 100 yards. Yeah, maybe Packer fans would disagree with me, but did you ever at any time this year go, oh, well, the Packers are the best team in the NFC, hands down, not even close. They're going to make it to I the I thought Super Bowl. so, yes. Oh, you did? Like, yeah, hands I did. down? I mean, hands down is a, is a term I don't know that I ever use, but I thought... But you know what it means. I thought that the Packers were the best team in the NFC. I thought they were going to the Super Bowl. I thought that they would win two games at home at Lambeau Field. Hmm. They'd protect home field. They had the quarterback. They had the wide receiver. They had good defense. Yes, I, I, okay. yeah, I thought they were the best. I thought they were the class of the NFC. So I was wrong. So I, I didn't look at them as like a. This is they've just been dominating everybody all year. It's it's the eighty five Bears. Well, nobody we know what's going to yeah, happen. Nobody did. Nobody. Okay. Did. Well, then that. I mean, maybe that would help take the sting off a no. little bit. Whereas when, when the Sonics ran all the way to the number one seed, best record, and all that, you're like, oh, they're at least going to get to the finals. But then when they don't. That that sting. I don't know. I didn't feel like the Packers were so good. Well, I guess it would still hurt, but I don't know. It just didn't seem like a huge expectation going into the season for the Packers, even at 13 and four or whatever they were. All right. Three guests, and then we'll come back with the other stuff segment. And we want to kick off or I want to kick off the other stuff segment with uh, a new defensive coordinating candidate who became available this week. Ooh, who has the same name as a a lovable Game show host. Ah, okay. okay. We'll 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 kick off the other seg. We'll kick off the other stuff segment with that. All right. Let's do it. Well, it's a new year, and that means a new story for Mitch as it pertains to my quizzes from Katie Versio, senior financial planner, Evergreen Golf Call. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well, Mitch. How are you? I'm good, and I'm feeling like 2022 is going to be my year to do better than like 0 for three. And one for three. What is the theme of the three questions this time around? So the theme today is what has the market been doing so far this okay. year? So right. seeing how close you've been paying attention. Okay. 
Yeah, so true or false? Oh. Through January 21st, the stock market is up on the year. Oh, that's definitely false. You're right. Okay. It's false. It's down about 8% through the first few weeks of the year. It's been a lot more volatility than we've seen recently. A lot of that is due to the rising COVID cases. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, there's some geopolitical risks that are going on, as well as the threat of rising interest rates in the future. Right. So overall, it's been a lot more volatile than, than we've seen recently. A rough start to 2022 for the stock market. Question number two, Katie. The bond market is up on the year. Is that true or false? I'm gonna say true because when equities go down, bonds typically go up, so I'll say true. <laughs> so that was a bit of a trick question oh. for you. It's actually false. The bond market is down about 1% this year. So that is the conventional wisdom when stocks go down, bonds go up, but it's been an environment we're looking at rising interest rates, and that's been really impacting the bond market as well. All right, I'm one for two. I really need this one to get off to a good start this year in your eyes. So what's question number three? In a previous quiz, we discussed that the market measured by the S&P 500 has not had a correction since March of 2020. What percent down from peak to trough is officially considered a correction? Is it down 5%, down 10, 15, or 20%? I'm throwing out the extremes 5 and 20. This is what I did when I was back in school and I didn't know answers. So either B or C, I'll go, I'll go 15%. Ooh, it's actually 10. You were very close. We haven't seen a correction of 10% since March of 2020. The market's down about 8% right now. Okay. So now is the time for our evergreen clients. We're reaching out. If people have been in cash or wanting to get more aggressive, now with the market approaching that correction territory, it's a time that we're thinking about that for our clients. So here I am in 2022 starting off. Right where I left off in 21, one out of three, batting 333. But we still love Evergreen Golf Call. We love Katie Versio. They're a great partner. Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Our Kiyosara player of the game, Cody Pickett, brilliant in the fourth quarter, seven for eight. And he is one of the 19 Husky seniors playing in their final regular season game. 15 left with a five-point Cougar lead. Pick it. Downfield, he fires! Touchdown, Corey Williams! So our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered, he only threw for 10,000 more yards than I did at the University of Washington in three seasons as the starting quarterback of the Dogs in the 2000s. Let's see, second all-time to Jake Locker. 4,458 yards in 02, which is the best single season in program history. He had three of the top four single games, including number one overall, 455 against Arizona in 01. The present-day coach of the Eagle High School Boys basketball team. An Eagle... Idaho. Here's our old buddy, Cody Pickett. How are you, Cody? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Not Jake Locker. Jake Browning has more yards. He, he got oh. four years, though. He got four years. I only got three, okay. so we'll leave it there. <laughs> and the Eagle High School basketball team is... The Mustangs. Eagle Mustangs. The Mustangs. Yeah, Eagle Mustangs. What kind yep. of squad we got this year? We got a good squad. We got a good squad. We uh, they're they're making up for the lack of coaching ability, and they're winning some games for us. So, uh, you know, we're, we're twelve and two right now. We're right in the middle of the hunt. 
uh, we had a good win last night against a, a rival team. And uh, yeah, we're, we're coming down the stretch of regular season, uh, hopefully be able to make some noise in the playoffs. Your health scare has been well publicized and of great importance to both me and I think our audience. And we're, we'll talk about that. That's why you're here. I, I just got a couple questions, though, off of that. We'll come back. Does the former four-sport high school star, Cody Pickett, get the credit that he deserves for his time at Montlake? Or don't you care about any of that? You know, when people talk about great quarterbacks at Washington, you never hear Cody Pickett's name mentioned. Why? Well, start talking about it then. Start talking about it then. Show me a little love there. I don't know. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. There's so many good quarterbacks. Uh, you know, our senior year was weird. You know, you talked about Rick and, and him not being there our senior year. And it got weird his senior year. But, um, you know, I'm proud of what I did. You know, I played through a lot of things. And uh, we didn't win as many games as we we, we should have our senior year. Um, but, yeah, I threw for a lot of yards and uh, played with some great teammates. And, and I'm, I'm proud of my time there. So uh, when they start talking about it, throw my name in there. Then. Yeah, I will. When you say the word weird, you were recruited by Jim, Jim Lambright. Signed by Rick Neuheisel. Rick is a dear friend and a regular on the show. You use the word weird. Is it, do you look at it, You now you're a grown man and it's many, many years ago already. Do you, when you look back upon the weirdness of what happened to him while you were the quarterback, do you look at it with a different perspective now than you did when you were in the middle of it as a college quarterback or is it the same same feeling um i don't know i mean i'm I'm so happy in my life you know i'm truly i'm truly blessed i'm in a great place my wonderful wife is amazing i've got three beautiful children i i own my own insurance agency i get to coach hoops every day so i'm in a great place as far as looking back on things well things could have went different you know i i had a conversation with rick about leaving after my junior year i threw for 4400 yards that year i was projected to be a high draft pick into the first round start of the second round you know i had that conversation with rick about staying and, and i didn't want to leave i wanted to stay you know reggie was coming back for his true junior year so we couldn't leave you know i was projected as a preseason heisman guy um you know there was tons of hype surrounding so i was excited about the season i didn't want to leave i, I love being a part of the washington program you know and then it seems like a couple weeks after that you know the thing happened with rick he was no longer with us uh you know we go through training camp we had a bunch of injuries i don't think people really realize how many injuries we had you know i played a I played a, uh, you know, a full season with a torn pec that people don't really, really understand. You know, I played a sophomore year with a, uh, with a third degree AC separation. And then I played a full senior year. I got hurt against Indiana with the torn pec. So uh, things football wise could have went different. Um, but as far as life wise, I'm, I'm truly blessed. I'm in a great place. So um, if you're looking at straight football career, you know, maybe out of left after that junior year. And, and maybe if you're a higher draft pick, you're talked about as the Husky greats, right. You know, so I wasn't a high draft pick, you know? So, uh, but if you talk about this actual career at UW, you know, I'm confident in what I did, you know? So, so here you are all these years later, you look great. I'm looking at zoom, you're selling insurance, you're coaching boys, basketball. You were a great basketball player. You are great. Everything, a rodeo guy, everything. There's nothing that you didn't do that. You weren't, you weren't great at. And then recently, you lost an uncle, I think it was, to heart disease, which jolted you a little bit. Start right there if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing a golf tournament in McCall, uh, and my wife trailing in the in the cart behind me, and my good buddy Jeremy Newberry that I play with from San Francisco with the 49ers. He's my caddy, and my sister were driving around. I'm a pretty good round of golf, and uh, it's a match play. So coming down the stretch, I was having a hard time closing this guy out. And <laughs> the, mood, the mood got weird, you know, and it, I, 
you know, I knew they wanted me to win, but I was like, is it really that big a deal that I'm not playing very well? So we kind of go and they're just kind of tense. I'm like, Hey guys, cheer up. You know, this is golf. And well, come to find out, they found out my uncle had passed away and didn't want to tell me until the end of the match. So as soon as the match was over, uh, and they told me, Hey, your uncle Jay passed away. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? What happened? He said, well, he, he's an actor. He's been an actor forever. Um, talking about an in shape, fantastic looking guy. I mean, he's been an actor for 35 years, right. six pack, good, good, strong in shape guy. And at 60 years old, he was filming a movie and just leaned over on his horse and, uh, Jay, what's going on, Jay. And, and he, he had had a massive heart attack on the scene was, and, and, and passed away. So, uh, that happened in June. Uh, so, so it was kind of just, a you know, obviously it was heartbreaking because he's loved dearly by all of our family, just a fantastic guy. Um, but fast forward to, Hey, look, if it can happen to Jay it can happen to all of us, you know, I'm 41, he's 60. Uh, but still it's like, Hey, let's go get checked out, you know? And, and, uh, my aunts and uncles started getting some different tests, uh, a calcium score is a test that, uh, I, I went to, I saw my cardiologist today for a follow-up, you know, 50 to hundred is high hundred to 200 is extremely high. 200 to 300 is off the charts. My dad was a thousand. So everybody's like, Oh my gosh, your dad's a thousand. So he went in and got it, get a stint. Well, Cody, let's get you checked out. I was 1669. Oh. So I was almost twice my dad, like through oh. the roof. Oh. and I've got zero symptoms. I mean, I'm playing basketball with my guys. We got practice here in 30 minutes and you know, in a normal day, I'd be out there running with them and playing. And so after that calcium score, it was the next step. Well, let's, let's not do the angiogram yet. Let's let's take the next step. Let's go do a CT scan. So they went in with the dye and the CT scan and it showed I was about 70% blocked. Well, that's scary. Right? So on December, uh, December 30th, I was scheduled to go get an angiogram where they actually go through your arm or your groin. Um, they check your flow. And if you're too blocked, they'll put a stint in. And on December 30th, I went in, I was missing a game and the nurses said, Hey, you look fantastic. You know, you, you don't look like our normal patients. Uh, you'll probably be in and out. I said, Oh, well, awesome. I got a game of one. Hopefully I'll be there. <laughs> well, fast forward. I come out, my wife's a wreck. She's crying and shook. And it's kind of one of those like life moments. Like, am I okay? Am, am, am I alive? Like what's going on? And, and the doctor proceeded to tell me, Hey, you're significantly more blocked than we thought you were. Um, we cannot place a stent. We need to do open heart surgery wait, really? Like I feel fine. No. And, and, uh, we'll win. Well, we're going to see if there's a surgeon available. It's December 30th. Uh, we're going to go see if there's a surgeon available and we'll get you in today, wow. like today, like right now. So then he left and then my wife's still a wreck and it's like, okay, my three kids, you start thinking about your three kids, your team, your business, everything is going through your head. So all kinds of emotions are going through your head. Um, and then fast forward, he came back and said, Hey, look, even if you were to have a heart attack, which you didn't, we'd stabilize. So we're going to have, have you a follow-up appointment on Monday and we'll have the surgery next Friday. So immediately I'm like, well, if it was just, I have to have this now, can, am I okay to wait eight days? You know? And so the mist of emotions goes crazy for those next couple of days on, uh, on new year's day, my wife decided to put out our new year's Eve. She put out a post uh, you know, kind of telling everybody our story. I didn't want to put it out. I'm a private guy, uh, but there's all kinds of people in the Valley. And all of a sudden I'm not coaching my team. So people are talking, Hey, where's Cody? What's going on? So, so she put out a post just to kind of summarize where we're at and it went bananas. I mean, it was 500 comments, a thousand likes. And I mean, uh, Kim Grinnell's a dog man shared it. Everybody shared it. And I got a message on new year's day. She was going through all the messages and there was like 500. I'm like, Carly, how can you go check all of them? You know, that's, that's awesome. We're the love of receipt, but there's no way you can check all of them. And she was, and she got a message from uh, Channing Wiles wife saying, Hey, you know, my husband Channing wants to send you a message. He's a punter. He was a former punter 
at University of Washington. Okay, go ahead. Former punter. Yep. Yeah, former punter. And he sent Carly a, a private message. He doesn't even have Facebook. Hey, I saw your story through here. Um, I'm in the interventional cardiology space for the last 21 years. Um, I've, I've a ton of experience with Cody's stent procedure. I'm also, uh, you know, a good friends with Bill Lombardi, the University of Washington Medical Center. It's worth a second look before open heart surgery. And so immediately I'm like, well, absolutely. You know, so I said, my wife, you know, it's New Year's Day. Should I really reach out to this guy on New Year's Day? He gave me a cell phone number and he said, yeah, reach out. So I sent him a text. Hey, Channing, please, anything you can do to help, that'd be fantastic. And he replies, he said, hey, I just got off the phone with, with, with Bill Lombardi and he's going to be giving you a call. Dr. Lombardi called New Year's Day and just told me, hey, here's the situation. We talked for 40 minutes. It was amazing conversation. Immediately made me feel like there was an option outside of open heart surgery. And we set the appointment to come up on the 10th. So you want to keep going to how the 10th went? Yeah, go. So sit around on pins and needles for what is that? 10, 10 days. days. Yes. Waiting to go up. Then yes. all the emotions of, you know, Hey, I love the university of Washington. You know, I was very, very blessed to have multiple opportunities to play at other schools from day one. I knew I wanted to be a Husky from, uh, you know, Jim Lambright, Kerry Conklin, Scott Linehan. Those are my guys. I went on, I went on another recruiting trip to Arizona state, but I mean, I had multiple offers, Purdue and Tennessee and all the PAC 10 and Boise state, but I just knew I wanted to be a dog. I wanted to be a Husky. So then the emotions of, Oh my gosh, I haven't been back. Now I'm going back for a life altering procedure. I mean, it was emotional. It was emotional. And I flew up the morning of the 10th, got checked into the hospital. And, you know, if you walk out the front doors, of the hospital Husky stadium is right there. I yep. mean, you can hit yep. driver pitching wedge to where I played, I don't know, no 40 games or whatever. I was a starting quarterback. So that was emotional. And then you sit around for, you know, I got checked in at, at noon and the procedure wasn't till four. And, and Dr. Lombardi was fantastic. I mean, the procedure was as first class as you could be. I was completely comfortable. I was awake the entire time from the wow. anesthesiologist to the music they had going on in the place, just the comfort I had. And, and they were able to play, place the stint. So they were able to do the stint that they weren't able to do here in, in my Valley. Um, and yeah, so fast forward, uh, I came out and I just couldn't thank him enough. And, uh, you, you know, know, it was just amazing. It's amazing that somebody, the different levels of people, right? Somebody that's unable to do something and saying you have to have open heart surgery and then going to, you know, obviously I'm biased. I mean, to one of the best in the country, if not the world at what he does and just taking care of me. And obviously there's risks and things that could go wrong, but I came out blessed. You know, I came out with some, with him handling the procedure fantastically. And, and I, and I'm, I'm back with my team two days later. So. Amazing. And here we are a couple of weeks later. You're feeling great. You're looking great. I want to go back over a couple things. You told the story beautifully. Some important matters. Uh, first of all, if I were to call, if I would have called you a ticking time bomb, would that have been melodramatic or would, would that have been accurate? What did they tell you when they found this sort of blockage? That's what's so scary about heart disease is you never know. I mean, I could have went 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, who knows? I was, I was blocked, but my, I was still flowing. I was still, I was showing no symptoms. And I just met with my cardiologist today. And that's what, what she said is, you know, Hey, it was great what Bill was able to do, but you never know with heart disease. You know, that's why it's so scary because a guy like me who looks from the outside looks perfectly normal. A guy like my uncle, and this is what, what Dr. Lombardi said is, Hey doctor, I got no, I got no, no symptoms, no symptoms. Hey, Cody, stop. Your uncle didn't either. So that's what's 
you can't say, I mean, I could have went for years, multiple years, Yeah, but maybe not, maybe you know, not. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm an active lifestyle. I try to push myself in the gym. I coach my kids aggressively, you know? And, um, so who knows, you know, I just, I feel very fortunate to, to have, have had an opportunity to see it at an early stage. Hopefully somebody else that sees this, that has family history, doesn't look at it and pass it, you know, kick it under the rug. If you have family history, if you have something there, you need to get yourself checked. And that's the point. And we've talked a lot about men's health, overall health. We've had cardiologists on the show. You mentioned that calcium coronary screening, that test that you had that was, what did you say, 1,600 or whatever it is that your score was. I've had that done multiple times. I've got cardiovascular disease in my family I've had that done for years. Thank goodness my my score is like zero. But tell our audience how easy of a test that is. I mean, I, I think you say the words calcium coronary screening, and there's probably people in our audience going, maybe I should do that, but that sounds like I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to go do it. It's an easy, easy test, doesn't it? Talk, talk about how easy it is to go in and get that done. It's, it's way easier than your daily treatment when you're a college football player, right? I mean, like you got bumps and bruises. You go in there, you get an ice and stem or whatever they do for you. You check into the hotel. The nurses checks your pulse. She gets, she gets you all set up. You get some dye in you. You go halfway into a tube. Your body's exposed. They run the thing around you. It's 20 minutes. You're in and out. It's out. so easy. The worst part is waiting around for a couple of weeks get or a couple answer. whatever yeah. to get the answer. Yeah. And then they call you and say, what I was hoping for, Hey, Cody, you're good. You got a baseline, but instead they called me and said, Hey, we got a problem here. And so it's extremely, extremely easy. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, your insurance doesn't cover it. You have to pay for it out of pocket, but it's worth it. It's worth, oh it's worth knowing where you're at. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Especially yeah. if you know of any heart disease in your family, that's the big one, especially young heart disease in your family. Cody heard of an uncle who passed away. Suddenly he went and got himself checked. And now Thank goodness that he did. Now, Lombardi, Dr. Lombardi's contention, I want to have him on the show as well. His contention is, Cody, that hundreds of thousands of patients each year face open heart surgery, not knowing that there might be another much less serious option or road that they can pass. The difference is obviously in recovery is night and day. You would have been in for days after open heart surgery. You'd have been in the hospital. You wouldn't be back with your team so soon. You have no symptoms. We're now a couple of weeks. Do you ever have moments where you wonder, did I do the right thing? Should I have had the open heart surgery or do you just let that go? Oh, that's a no brainer. I mean, like to have your chest cracked open, right. And have to, you know, the people that go through that, I mean, I pride myself being a guy from chicken in a road and being a tough guy and playing through injuries and things like that. But yeah. when you get your, when you have to have open heart surgery, that's a whole different animal. And, you know, and I had games circled that, Hey, I'm going to be back by January 28th, or I'm going to be back by February 4th. I had all these emotional things that I got to be there for my team. And the reality of it is, is everybody I've talked to, including Dr. Lombardi said, Hey, look, if they do that, there's no more season. Our season's over March, the first week in March. And, you know, like I said, I had high hopes of being back in a couple of weeks, but from everybody I've talked to, it's so major that you're out for months. So, um, without a doubt, I did the right thing. I'm just blessed that I was able to, uh, you know, my wife was able to share this and the news was able to spread as fast as it did. I mean, I'm just truly blessed to have the opportunity to go see Dr. Lombardi. And that's where, you know, I, I haven't shied away from any of these opportunities to talk to people about it. In the past, when I was playing for the Huskies or the 49ers, I would shy away from, from media. Cause I didn't, 
you know, want to talk about your story, but this is different. You know, this is, this is something that can change somebody's life, you know, and hopefully you've got a follower that watches this that says, Hey, yeah, yeah let's go get this calcium score. Yes. And they're able to check it like me. And then you might not even have to do what I did. You might not even have to get the, the, the stint. You can get on a statin or, you know, the, 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 the drugs to help your cholesterol move and different things to avoid all of this and be able to manage it for your life. Yeah. No question. Let's end on a, on a light note. Yeah. Since you didn't do the media while you're a quarterback, I'll ask you the two. I'll ask you the question now, many, many years later, give me Cody Pickett's two or three favorite throws. It's gotta be one, two, and three has gotta be my last pass in the apple cup, but I'll give you a couple of the last, the last pass in Husky stadium. That senior year was hard, right? I mean, I, I, I played through all these different things, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I loved my team. I, I played through all these things that I'd do anything to, to, to help our team win. And, and that year was hard. It was emotionally hard. You know, we, we ended up being six and six and we're playing the apple cup and we're down you know, like we were the two years prior or the years prior to that. And, uh, you know, fourth and fourth and short hit Charles Frederick across the middle for a first down. Um, but then I remember coming to the sideline and talking to Gilby and just saying, Hey, I think I can, I can pump Reggie on the bubble and hit Corey down the sideline. And there was a minute left and uh, we pumped Reggie and the corner came down and uh, put that ball in the corner, the corner end zone to, to Corey Williams play. and uh, place went place went bananas. Go Google that sometimes. I mean, <laughs> the guys in the press box, I think they thought, you know, I think they thought they were going to fall out of the rafters. <laughs> it was bananas. So that was kind of like, my walk off, you know, I remember talking to Gilby before the senior, you know, like all the highs and lows and this, you know, that throw to kind of go out of, you know what, I, you know, talked about quarterbacks, at university of Washington, I was two and oh against Oregon as a starter. And I was three, three and oh against Wazoo as a starter. So five and oh against those two rival games, say what you want. And we never played national championships, you know, all that stuff, but Proud to say that I'm five and zero oh in those games. So that's probably the the biggest throw. Second one would hop out would be uh, against uh, against Wazoo the year before when we're down ten with four minutes left. We're down ten at at Wazoo with with uh, uh, with four minutes left and just getting in the huddle and we were struggling. Say, hey Reggie, it's coming. And we threw a streak and I just put it up to him. He went up, made an amazing grab. But that conversation in the huddle, like, hey, we're not going through progressions go and here it comes. So those are probably my, my top beautiful, two for sure. Beautiful. Uh, you remember him uh, very fondly as a, a terrific quarterback for the university of Washington. As I said, over 10,000 yards in three years, and he's doing great after some heart procedures and a very scary time in his life. Go, uh, go Mustangs. <laughs> and you're in the media up there and everything. 10,200 yards is what I've always seen. And then some people, sometimes they throw 9,900 9, yards. Find that extra ball. Game. It's 10 to get those people corrected, please. You got hey, it, Cody. You got it, it, Cody. You're the best. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, it's time for the first visit of the year for my friend Zeke's Pizza president, Dan Black. How are you, Dan? I'm doing good, Mitch. Thanks. How did 21 go? Give us kind of a State of the Union address. All things considered, how do you think Zeke's performed in 2021? Yeah, all things considered, I think we performed well. Uh, as you know, it's challenging times for the restaurant industry, and it's no different for us. I mean, COVID has changed the world, and in a lot of ways, coming out of COVID has created more challenges than during COVID for us in certain ways. But, you know, I tend to be an optimist, and so focus on the positive things, which our restaurants, for the most part, in 21 were fully open. The really optimistic part is is in terms of opening new locations, uh, we've been doing very well on that. And 2022 off the top of your head, can you tell us about expansion? Yeah, so we're actually in the midst of our 
biggest growth phase ever at Zeke. So all within the next month or so, Spokane, Mill Creek and White Center will all open. And then shortly after that, Seward Park and Renton will come online. So yeah, we're we're cranking right now. We're approaching 30 Zeke's pizzas. How do you explain, given the conditions and the challenges, all this growth for you guys? Yeah, it's been crazy. It was, I wouldn't say that it was a total surprise for us, but uh, you can add buy a Zeke's franchise in addition to buying a Peloton and a vacation home <laughs> is something that evidently people do during a worldwide pandemic. Ah, and what's the Black family eating and drinking this January? Yeah, you know, wintertime, we tend to go towards our classic meat pies. So we've been doing Puget Pounder, John Candy, Cherry Bomb, Dragon, all of which are kind of Zeke's classics. And then beer wise, I've been drinking stuff from a couple of breweries up in Bellingham. Uh, one is Flannel Blizzard, which is a Zeke's specific beer that is a Canadian lager that's super easy drinking. So I drink a lot of that. And then the other one I've been drinking is a Skookum Hazy, which is another popular style. I'm so happy for your expansion and your success. I know the 21 was difficult. I'm very appreciative of your partnership with Mitch Unfiltered since the beginning. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, J-Dub, John Waterstrat. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be back with you. John, the pandemic, the shipping challenges that come along between fireplaces and garage doors, which you do so well, the Seahawks, the Huskies. It's been a tough go recently, J-Dub. It has been a tough go, and I probably speak for some of those sports fans out there. It's been a rough year. <laughs> That's our stress reliever, I think, in the Northwest to see those Seahawks do really well and my beloved UW Huskies. But uh, hey, we're getting through. We're managing through. For me, the fireplace unit, the garage doors, one thing. You've got great ones. Your competitors have great ones. The difference to me is in the process and service, and I know because I'm a customer. People have no idea. Walk us through what happens after someone decides that they want a new fireplace and they call the Fireside Home Solutions team. Yeah, we just talked a little bit about the stress, right? Sports have been tough. Pandemic's been tough. And and we really believe in this stress-free buying experience. And and again, you pick your product out. And what we want to do is just like what we did with you guys is we want to send somebody out there, an expert, to walk you through the process. Let's make sure everything's going to fit. Make sure you guys have your questions answered. Instead of having an installer there that doesn't quite know what to do, we don't have good expectations, and get that stress-free buying experience. And again, make sure that they can do their work and you can get what you want. We absolutely love our new patio and setup. What's the current time frame that the pandemic has thrown at you guys for garage doors and fireplace units? Uh, we talked about this in the past. Please talk to your sales rep about what we have in stock. If you need something fast, we're going to have things in stock, both fireplaces and garage doors. Other products, if you're patient and you really want something, we have things that are taking four weeks, sometimes eight weeks, and you wouldn't believe this. We actually have some garage doors that are taking anywhere between oh. nine and 10 months. Wow. That's unbelievable. So patience is truly a virtue. As I said, we're a great customer. We love them. They're the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition and an awesome partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. My job, and, and a lot of people still don't maybe get this, isn't to put teams in or out or project teams in or out as if I were giving you my opinion. Because there's a hundred people, a thousand people on TV who are more than willing to do that, and they're very good at it. Episode 175, Mitch Unfiltered. And you know, our next guest in the mid-1990s decided that he needed to try to help cut costs 
for his Blue Ribbon College Tournament Preview Guide, which I'm old enough to remember, by the way, by attempting to predict which 64 teams would be dancing. Lo and behold, an annual fascination, national fascination was born, and it's done nothing but gain steam the last 30 years. The NCAA Tournament just wouldn't be the same without the man that I used to call Dr. Joe when we worked together on KJR a million years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, the author of the book Bracketology, College Basketball and the Creation of a National Obsession. Here's my old friend, Dr. Joe Lenardi. How are you, Doc? I am great, Mitch. It's great to hear you and see you. I'm pretty sure when uh, we discovered each other in the Blue Ribbon days, uh, there was no such thing as (laughs) Zooming or podcasting or uh, bracket bunker over my shoulder here. And, uh, you know, it, we're, we're off hours in the bunker getting ready for another great weekend of college hoops. I don't want to talk to you normally over the years. Everybody just wants to ask you who are the number ones, who are the last four in, who's on the bubble. And since I root for Syracuse and Washington, I have no interest in that this year, this time around. What I have interest in is how this whole thing started. What's the story about a snowstorm in the 1990s? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, you're one of the few who does remember, you know, when I was the star center of my high school team (laughs) and, you know, dunking, dunking on those little Italian guys who looked like me and couldn't jump. Uh, No, look, um, like most of us, or I should say many of us in sports media, uh, I'm doing it because I wasn't good enough to play. <laughs> and anyone has seen me realizes that uh, the words power forward are not in my vocabulary. <laughs> but like you, like a lot of us, Mitch, and in my case, uniquely growing up in and around Philadelphia, where college basketball is a little less so now, but certainly then a big deal with six Division One teams all within a stone's throw of one another. And uh, I was blessed at St. Joe's. Pe- people ask me, well, what do you major in to become a bracketologist? <laughs> well, I was like, well, when I went to college in the late 70s, like th- th- there were no such majors. <laughs> and But I was able to major in college basketball and sports media without knowing it. Uh-huh. Because when you got that student newspaper press pass to the palestra as oh. a college kid in Philly, oh. you know, you had Villanova Temple, St. Joe's LaSalle, to a lesser extent, Drexel. Think about multiple games in the same building every, you know, week of the season. The exposure I was getting to this world of college basketball, particularly back when the print media was really king. I looked up and down press row and thought, that's what I want to be. You know, in a given year, one, two, three, the locals were always in the hunt for the tournament. You, you know, they've all had great runs. Villanova lately, but Temple was number one. St. Joe's was number one. Uh, LaSalle had Lionel Simmons and was 30 and two. Heck, my freshman year in college, Penn. Penn went to the Bob Weinauer, right? Bob Weinauer. Correct. Yeah. And one of the best quotes of all time after the Elite Eight game in yeah. which Penn beat. Wait, let me let me try and remember. I think it was a team from central New York. Yes. Before they ran into magic Johnson. Right. Right. But, but <laughs> Bayheim, say what you want. One of the best quotes of all time. How could you lose 
to an Ivy League team. And Bayheim, I'll never forget it. He said, we didn't lose to an Ivy League team. We lost to a Philly Big Five team. Ah. Here we are 40 years later. and <clears throat> So 40 years later, you know, 40 years later. I guess we all have to be be an expert at something. Yeah. And and it, tournament bracket construction. Yeah. I guess is my it's thing. your thing. So 40 years later, for our audience who just can't get their arms around the magnitude of what you guys do, it's bigger than it's ever been. Can you give us a sense of how many people take that little mouse and that little arrow mm-hmm. and click on those projections that you do as we get to February and late February and tournament week and conference tournament week? How many people can you give us a sense? I, I think I think people will drive off the road if they're listening to this when they hear just how popular bracketology has become. Well, let me put it to you this way. I'm not very good at the business of business. Okay. And if I was, I would get paid per click. <laughs> Uh, because look, we're all supposed to be cagey about numbers and this kind of thing. Here's what I can tell you. What can you tell me for like 51 weeks a year, the single topic that drives the most subscriptions behind the ESPN paywall at.com is NFL draft, like Mel and Todd McShay and all those guys who are great because people want to know who the third guard is at, you know, Idaho state. And can he play for the pack, right? People want to know that year-round. Right. One week a year, something else <laughs> is the leader. And as I say to Mel, and 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 my hair's real. Uh, so, like, you know, I, I'm happy. Like, people have called me the Mel Kuyper of college basketball. I could never be Rain Man like Mel. But... Uh, I'm I'm happy to have my one week of fame. No, and you know, no, you get a million. No, get no. a million. You're being modest. It's not one week of fame. It may be the one week where it preempts the NFL, but it is a it's a national phenomenon. The entire college basketball season, everybody loves it. You're doing it. You're doing it after the final four ends. You're already you're already giving us the way too early brackets for the. You know, I, there's a lot of this that is that I have found very interesting from afar that I want to bring up to you. Get your thoughts on it. Whatever stories you can tell us that would be interesting. I have watched since the beginning, since your beginning. And I have been interested in, let's call it, the maturation of acceptance from the mm. big faces at ESPN. I remember when you first started going on the TV a lot on ESPN, you would get some interesting looks from those guys that made a living mm-hmm. doing everything. I don't, a lot of them, and I won't mention who because I don't remember who, a lot of them you could just tell they felt like mm, Joe's being forced on us. I don't even want to, who is this guy? Where did he come from? I don't even want And over the years, over the years, mm-hmm. the maturation of acceptance, it's changed and people, you can just see the admiration that they have for you now in 2022. Well, that's very kind of you to say, but I also think Mitch that you're on to something. And, and you know, the way I would look at it is this, if I were to compare the questions that I get from the average fan or a coach or a media person or an interviewer, or for that matter, 
one of the guys on the desk or the talent on site for a game, uh, the, the level of discourse is just so much more advanced. Like we, we would, we would talk in the old days, like, well, why doesn't UW just play Gonzaga in the first round? Right. Right. And well, now we know that they probably played during the season and they can't be right. Or it's in, Spokane or Seattle or Portland, and one of the teams played too many games there right. during the year. Right. Or may, maybe they would meet further along in the bracket, but not far enough to be in the same subsection of the region. What do you mean Gonzaga's in and UW isn't? When UW won the head-to-head game, and we know now that you know that's just one small slice of the pie in terms of evaluating a team's overall resume. And I think that vocabulary, that kind of discussion, you know, I think back to when I used to do, we used to call them chats yeah. on, on .com. And, yeah. and I would do them on Friday afternoon at my, at my day job. Yeah. Mostly because like the rest of the world, we don't want to work on Friday afternoon. <laughs> That's why sports sites and other sites do well. get the most traffic on Friday afternoon right. because <laughs> nobody wants to work. Uh, you know, I once got a phone call from the governor of a Midwestern state on a Friday afternoon, wanting to know why his team's state school wasn't <laughs> seated well enough. And I thought it was one of my friends punking me. And uh, I said, like, I didn't even know how to address it. Like uh, you say, Mr. President, I was like, your excellency or your honor. And I just said, sir, it's a pretty slow news day in. I don't want to mention the state because it rhymes with Iowa. But <laughs> like, but the level of discussion now is much different. So it's 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 a really insightful observation by you that most people don't get. But thankfully, my boss is good. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. I te- you, you know, people say, oh, you've got the best job in America. And I always say, well, I have the second best job in America. The best job in America is Jim Nance. Every year he gets to do the final four on Monday and the Masters on Thursday. Nothing when better. I get that, yes. then I'll have the best. Yes. Hey, listen, uh, with that acceptance and that, that infiltration of mainstream, the growing pains are that some of the coaches have bristled over the years. <laughs> Tell the Archie Miller story. Coaches bristle, but in calmer moments, they also respect and ask for advice. Okay. I certainly don't feel like an outsider anymore in almost any room. And and I don't say that to, to beat my drum. Like my job isn't to be liked by coaches. My job is to replicate the committee and provide information across our network to make our coverage better mm-hmm. and and also to a lesser extent have people be entertained by me because that's what the e stands for right a lot of people in our business don't get the e part the entertainment but you know to, uh, not last year the year before archie was a coach in indiana 
course, he had been at the University of Dayton for a number of years, been very successful. And I'm an A-10 guy. And, and at that time, I was still on the road with St. Joe's. I knew all the A-10 coaches because I broadcast a lot of their games. That particular year at Indiana, I, I think I had them last four in or and, and they lost a tough game. And he just went all like, do you think this? The question was, do you think this hurts you on the bubble or whatever? And he just went off at me and, and, you know, Oscar the Grouch and he's in a trash can is a children's show. And, and I'm thinking, wow, like I'll bet you click on it every morning. And, and so I, I, I just, you know, I used to be in PR and I tried to think to myself, because ESPN said, do you want to come on? Do you want to respond? You know, because look, that, that's good TV, right? Yes. Like, let's have a hissing contest. <laughs> yeah. I said to myself, all right, if one of my clients in PR was in this situation, what would I tell them to do? And what I would tell them to do is basically let the guy stew in his own juices and don't add to it. Because the truth is I had already claimed the high ground by doing nothing. <laughs> so the only thing I could do was make it worse. Uh, right. Right. So uh, resisting all of the Italian I wanted to throw at him. <laughs> I just sat tight. And what do you know, without even asking a bunch of people rose up and, and uh. defended me. And you know, then I finally had to do the docket show because he was in Indiana. He was with our network at the time. And this is in the book. I said, I could never imagine the pressure that comes with being the head coach at a school like Indiana and having my livelihood dependent on the random actions of 19 and 20 year olds. Hmm. Like there is a lot of pressure in that job. And to be asked questions 10 or 15 minutes after something that's gutting Okay, is one of the most unfair things we do in this profession. Now, I said that to stay on the high road. I still think he was a jackass. <laughs> I've said that publicly. It's in print, so uh, I can't hide from it. And we were, I wouldn't say we're friends, but I mean, he has my number, and it's been two years he could have called. <laughs> and if he was on this show now, I would have been like, yo, Arch, you have my uh, number. You could have called for a change. And this is not easy for me at five, five and a half. <laughs> For a change, I was the bigger person. I don't bring it up because it's my alma mater, but it seems as I as I watch over the years, you've got this thing going on with the Syracuse crowd. I guess it's because <laughs> I guess it's because that we're always on the bubble. How are you in Bayheim? Do you and Bayheim get along well? How would you say your relationship yes. with Bayheim is? Yeah. Two great Bayheim stories. And I have to admit, I, I, I didn't know him personally, other than a, being a guy in a press room. Right. Until maybe the last seven or eight years when I met him through Phil Martelli and his wife, Judy, and Jim and Julie with Coaches versus Cancer. Sure. That I'm now very involved in um, myself. I was walking through, I want to say it was the Georgia Dome. Was it the Final Four? You know, I was out getting a coat during a timeout. And, the, and here, here, here comes the four of them. It's Phil and Judy and Jim and Julie. That year I had him in and they didn't make it. And usually, unfortunately, it's been the other way around a couple of times too, right? <laughs> so he just walks right. And I, I go to stick out my hand, get introduced to Phil Stranding. And he goes, Lenardi, I know you who you are. He said, for a change. Now, admittedly, I had him in the committee, didn't he? He goes, for a change, <laughs> you were right. <laughs> and then one year at Coaches versus Cancer, you know, there's the big golf tournament in the summer, and then they have like a fun day the day before where they have their little private 
games and gambling going on. And I was asked to read the results and make it a little yuck it up, fun bracket kind of thing. And I was told that his group winning was common because the best club in his bag might be the pencil. (laughs) So I get up and I said, I know this is going to come as a shock to, to a lot of people. I said, Coach Beheim has won again. Unlike in basketball, he's really good at winning away from home. Oh, and, uh, like like he he doesn't have to be at home to win. <laughs> well, like I got him good. Oh, I got him good. Oh, so, he's a good sport. I don't know of a coach who's more dialed in to and everybody else, every player, every team, and where they stand. He is like he really gets it, and I come to respect that and be amused by the fact that like, why is it always that <laughs> like at least, at least two years out of three, it's them. They're a thing. Uh, and no. I told him, like, yeah. just get good and leave me out of it. <laughs> Last question. The book is called a uh, bracketology college basketball and the creation of a national obsession by our friend, Dr. Joe, Dr. Joe Lenardi. Last question for you. Is the greatest compliment to your work over the last 25 or 30 years how many different people are doing what you do? It's, I mean, there's no, there's no place you can go on the web now. Do you, do you get wrapped up in how you do and how the, uh, there are places that grade you guys and yes. who's, who's the best and Lenardi's the face, but all of these other guys are better and yada, yada, yada. It's an unbelievable, you, you've created this, this, uh, Whirlwind business. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, the words on the cover are apt and they weren't my idea, but you know, I'm like, did I really create a national obsession? Yes. Uh, but not intentionally Mitch, like nobody's that smart. <laughs> I certainly am not. Uh, you know, it's more like a, a Walter Mitty kind of thing. Yeah. I suppose. But yeah. yeah. And so now we'll have all the youngsters looking that up, <laughs> but here's what I would say. Isn't the saying imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Yes. And I, I've gotten to know some of these guys. They are super into it. And I think there are people at it who are better at the analytics, who, who are better at the predictive metrics and really are into all that. Clearly, I understand them and have a pretty good sensibility with what measures what. Right. And what is more important at any given time of the year to to a prospective committee person. But but I would never sit here and say, I'm a math wizard. <laughs> like some of these people, like like if my wife were here and she was discussing our checking accounts, she would be the first to tell you <laughs> that I am not a math wizard. Uh, uh. But, but, but y- you know, the difference is, I'm reminded of when like, I only had to do like one bracket a week and it was a snapshot and I could spend most of my time ruminating. Well, like the ruminating part went out the window like 10, 12 years ago. And I don't know if any of the others have kind of the multifaceted content responsibilities. And and I'm not saying that to demean or to elevate my, I'm just saying it's different. different. Yeah. They're great electricians and I might be a carpenter now. Right. And, yeah. and I'm building something different. Like, yes, I know that, that there's a site that keeps score. Okay. <laughs> and believe me, 
every every time I finish behind, whether it's three or three hundred, I hear from most of them. <laughs> okay, and to which I go, congratulations. Look, this sport has given me a whole lot more than I've given it. And I think I've given a fair amount, but I'm blessed. And, you know, the only thing I can't really abide is when it gets to be late in the cycle and I'm really into it. Like you're catching me at kind of a loosey-goosey time <laughs> on a Friday. And that's nice. If this was a month from today, I wouldn't be able to do this, at least not in a relaxed way. I wish I could pay more attention to them all, but I just can't. It's great to <laughs> it's a, it's great to catch up with you again. Again, the name of the book from Joe Lenardi is Bracketology: College Basketball and the Creation of a National Obsession. Thirty years later, he's still going strong. You can see him everywhere on ESPN as we get closer to those first few weeks of March, and you can read him on ESPN.com. It's great to see you. I said to you before we started. Likewise. Yeah. Hey, Mitch. Yeah. I got to send you one. <laughs> so, so here you go. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's actual size. <laughs> so, there you go. This is what I say. If you ask me, is Syracuse going to make it? I just shake the head. Shake the head. The bobblehead. <laughs> the bobblehead. You're the best, Joe. Thanks for being with us All on right. Mitch Unfiltered. Great to see you. Be well, my friend. Hey, let's get an update from Daniels Broiler CEO Lindsey Schwartz in the new year. Happy New Year, Lindsey. How were the holidays for Daniels Broiler? Happy New Year to you, Mitch. Yeah, the holidays were great. We were super busy. All four restaurants started out Thanksgiving and just kind of went all the way through December. And uh, people were celebrating with us, having a great time. It, it really it really felt like the good old days. So we're grateful for that and uh, and happy to keep it rolling. South Lake Union, Leshy, Bellevue open fully and downtown Seattle what? Downtown Seattle is Tuesday through Saturday evenings in the bar only. And that continues to get busier, too. People are finding their way there in the evenings and, and having a good time in our bar. And uh, hopefully that continues to get busier as the year goes on. One of the biggest days traditionally, and we all understand why, for Daniel's Broiler, is Valentine's Day. No better place to celebrate Valentine's Day than one of your great locations. This year, it falls on a Monday. And it's weird because Super Bowl Sunday is the day before, right? Yeah, first time ever with the uh, extra game added this year in the NFL. And so we've never been through this before. But uh, yeah, Valentine's Day is always a really busy day. And it's on a Monday, which means it's going to be a really busy weekend. People come in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But uh, for those who, who make the Super Bowl a priority, just want to give everybody the heads up. Don't make your dinner reservation <laughs> Sunday night if you'd rather be watching the Super Bowl. The other nights are going to fill up quick, Friday, Saturday, Monday. So, uh, so jump on it. Traditionally, how long do we have until you're booked on actual Valentine's Day, Monday night. How long do we have to make our reservation? I mean, I would say the first couple weeks of the year, traditionally, okay. Valentine's Day reservations are, are booked. Okay, so if you're booked on Monday night when our listeners come to call, then uh, Friday or Saturday night, unless you don't care about the Super Bowl, and then you can do you can do Sunday night. Daniel's Broiler CEO, Lindsey Schwartz. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. By the weekend of March 4, the sports books were overrun with fresh faces and fresh money. All betting against ASU, 11 point favorites over Washington. 
There were people in town that wanted to bet on Washington regardless of what the price was. These people just wanted to keep betting and betting and betting and um, they were betting money, real money, and uh, they didn't think they were going to lose. Our next guest on this episode 175, Mitch Unfiltered, a 40-year veteran of Las Vegas sports books, and he's only 28 years old. In fact, he designed and started the win after running Caesars for a long time. He was also in the middle of one of the most significant point-shaving scandals in sports history. Here he is, straight from Las Vegas, Vinny Maliulo. How are you, Vinny? Good, Mitch. You were right the one to get it right. You got it, my <laughs> man. Good, good job. Well done. You know, I got the way the introduction right in the middle of one of the scandal. Well, I, I, I was. <laughs> no, you were in the you middle. Know, you, middle. <laughs> you, you got a lot of you got a lot of vowels in your name automatically. You get uh, you get in the middle of these things, I guess. But uh, actually. Um, you know, in, in reference to the uh, to the '94 situation, uh, the ASU situation, I was uh, I was running the book uh, at Caesars uh, at the time, and um, you know, my colleagues uh, throughout the industry at the time, uh, you know, and uh, had, you know, we it was kind of the talk. It was uh, it was certainly uh, I mean a topic of conversation and. Uh, uh, I'm sure you want to kind of walk through yeah, the, yeah, uh, the yeah, nexus yeah. of it. So yeah. you and I, you and I remember 1994. It was Arizona State. I don't know that a lot of our listeners know the story or remember the story. His name, the player's name, or the main player's name, was Stephen Smith. I remember it like it was yesterday. Start from the beginning. Smith was kind yeah. of an NBA caliber player for the Sun Devils, and he had gambling debts in football with like a a bookie that was on campus, something like that, right? Yeah, and this was all. This all came out after uh, after Mitch. You know, I mean, I want to do. I do want to point out that, you know, the whole situation uh, occurred, and even to this day, I mean, you had people, young people at the time, but even you know now, as as uh, they've gotten older and uh, gone on with their lives, uh, they've they've you know corrected things and all, but. A terrible what happened uh, to to these folks, right? And uh, you know, uh, Stephen Smith was a terrific player. In fact, I think he was a leading scorer on that team at the time, and uh, I believe he was a Vegas guy, Vegas kid. Oh, uh, it, it's that. it's awful to think that you know he uh, and 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 the others involved in it, uh, whether they were players or. Uh, you know, involved in the uh, in the actual uh, you know setting up of of, of things. Uh, you know, their lives were affected uh, for uh, to this day, and, and, and it's an unfortunate situation that occurred. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it did occur, and uh, hopefully, young players today, uh, you know, young people today, uh, and even older players have have learned from the situation. We'll go back through it a little bit. Last four games of the Pac-10 season, and. Um... Something's up with the Arizona State team. He, by the way, scored 39 points in one of those games. And you get, right. you get a call from the guy running the Barbary Coast during that stretch. Kind of pick up the story from there. Yeah, Barbary Coast was across the street uh, for those listening today. The Barbary Coast still stands, but it's got a different name. It's the It was the Cromwell at the time. And, you know, just like today... Mitch, you know, uh, you know, we've got a, a pretty good fraternity here in town and a, a network. Uh, not as much technology back then. I mean, we relied on our phones just to, to get a hold of each other. We didn't have the uh, the various screens to monitor each other's 
numbers and things like that. But to get a call from uh, uh, Jack Franzi, rest in peace, one of the uh, longtime uh, old school guys in the industry, uh, noticed some irregular betting patterns during the latter part of that season on Arizona State. And what were those patterns? Well, all of a sudden there were some folks showing up in town to bet against Arizona State for just about anything they could get, you know, get down on on the games. And, you know, Jack kind of alerted the industry. And those of us, uh, you know, uh, in, in my generation, uh, he groomed us. Uh, Jack uh, was a mentor to a lot of us uh, at that time. He was the previous generation and we were the ensuing generation. And he helped guide us through things. He said, listen, you know, just keep an eye on, on these uh, on these games because it's just an inordinate number of bets coming in against Arizona State. And by the way, it was, you know, there were people betting against them that nobody knew. You know, typically yes. somebody's betting, on, yes. especially on college basketball, Mitch, you know who who they are, right? Who the pro, who the professional bettors are and things like that. And at the time, you know, the majority of the games were, you know, just like today, there weren't as many games on Friday. So you put up that big Saturday schedule on Friday right? Uh, just to get a head start on things. Well, it was you know, the people betting on Friday were always professional bettors. Well, but this particular uh, uh, time of the year, all of a sudden, a lot of new faces were showing up. And, uh, you know, so, so Jack alerted the industry to it various colleagues around town, Jimmy Vaccaro, who's a, a, certainly a, a dear friend to this day. And we know Jimmy and uh, he was at the Mirage at the time. Uh, Johnny Avello, I believe was at, over at Bally's at the time. So, all, you know, the guys are and Art Manteros over at, at the time. He was at uh, what's currently the Westgate. And everybody's realizing that, you know, there's an inordinate amount of money, amount of money coming in against, against Arizona, State. Arizona State in these games. And so the game that really set things off uh, was a game – uh, between Arizona State and Washington. Yes, that uh, was this the last really game. was yeah. the one that yeah. yeah that prompted the uh, uh, it was this was the tipping point, uh, Mitch. This was a game on uh, it was March fifth, I want to say, and it was a Friday, the day before the game went up, and it was they were double digit favorites, Arizona State. Well, it got to a point where the line got cut in half. And what was one of the big telltale signs? All of a sudden, you saw these young these young folks coming up to the counter, literally with duffel bags oh. and ASU T-shirts, oh. saying, you know, I want to bet against my team. I want to bet as much as I can against Arizona State. And by the way, to just to, just to add to your story, and I, I'm interrupting, but I want you to keep going. The Washington, we're up in Seattle. The Washington team that you're talking about, 94, that team was five and twenty. That was one of the worst big conference teams in America, if not the worst big conference team in America. And yet the spread's going down and down, and all this money's coming right. in on Washington. It make no it, on, uh, unbelievable. On Washington, right. yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and and I think if I recall, yeah, that was the second time because the first time they played Washington uh, on the road was also kind of a red flag. Arizona State only won that game the first meeting. Uh, by like six points. So, but this time they were home and it was a, uh, uh, you know, they were, again, they were double digit favorites and nobody knew who these folks were. Well, and then again, colleague uh, Jackie called, he said, look, this is something, something's not right with this game. And by what well, our procedures are such Mitch, where you've got to alert, you know, your, your, your security, you know, yes. what people don't realize, I think is that, 
and and ironically, I think it's finally realized now by the pro leagues and the NCAA is that on our side of the counter, we share in the in the same interest as the leagues and the NCAA, and that is for the integrity of the games. Well, if you suspect something, your procedure is to notify your corporate security. Now, let me let me define what corporate security is. Corporate security are not the people that you you see on a casino floor in uniform, you know, security guards, just, you know, kind of crowd control, just overseeing things and, and general security throughout a property. Corporate security are the people that are in charge of uh, vetting potential employees, yes. vendors, do yes. background checks, yes. all yes. those types of things, yes. uh, government relations, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and by the way, relations with uh, the respective leagues and the NCAA. Why? Because most of these folks in corporate security, like the respective leagues security divisions uh, and the NCAA security division, these are all former high level law enforcement people. So they've got their network too. So the procedure is such that, hey, listen, you know, we've got a concern about some of these wagers coming in and they start the ball rolling and they in turn notify the gaming control board here in the state. They notified PAC at the time PAC 10 conference uh, and notified uh, a, one of the commissioners at the time, I believe the gentleman's name was Mr. Price. And um, they started to, uh, you know, but this was during the game actually. And if you recall the game, it was a pretty close game at halftime. And you're to your point, you know, you, you know, you're looking at it, and Washington is, is really in the game and, in fact, they were winning the game yeah. uh, for for a portion of it. Well, uh, I guess word got to uh, Coach Frieder at the time, and he kind of read his team the right. I said, I don't know what what's going. This was the, this was after the fact that we had heard this. I don't know what's going on here, but something. But and, and of course, rest is history. By the way, Arizona State won that game, seventy three fifty five, and all the betters lost after they had won a boatload of money on the previous yep. three games by betting against their school. They bet against their yep. school against Washington, and Washington got crushed at the end, and all those guys lost their shirts. And that was the beginning of the of the investigation, or that was that. That's what led to all of the the federal charges. That's what. That's what led to the investigation uh, in uh, in Nevada, where uh, you know I guess, and again, it was uh, the Pac-10 working in conjunction with the Gaming Control Board. Yeah, Gaming Control Board. They seized uh, records uh, of of the wagers throughout uh, throughout the state, and sur- and and certainly uh, what they also did, I think, and this was what uh, was a, a major part of the investigation. They seized. Uh, surveillance video of the individuals making the wagers and that's how they tracked them down. And I guess, you know, that's yeah, and their yeah, invest- yeah. ensuing investigation uncovered the, uh, uh, the unfortunate scandal. Here's a quote by Stephen Smith, the guy that we're talking about, the player at Arizona state who was right in the middle. I guess Vinny wasn't in the middle. Stephen Smith was in the middle of the <laughs> uh, point shaving incident. Here's a quote that he hit. This is a couple of games earlier than the Washington game, Vinny where they were a 14-point favorite to beat Oregon State. Uh, everybody bet against them. They won the game by six. Of course, didn't cover the 14. He had 39 points in the game. And here's what his quote right. was. Retrospect, here's what his quote was. I was to guard David Drakeford, a sweet shooting guard. We were favored, and Benny told me that if we won by less than a certain number of points, he would tell me the number on game day. 
he'd wipe out my $10,000 debt and pay me another $10,000. One of the advantages of being a great shooter like I am is that you know how much space another great shooter needs to get off a good shot. So I would cover David Drakefield and step back a half step to give him that space that he needed where I would normally guard a shooter like Drakeford a lot tighter. He had the room he needed. No one else noticed. And that's the way this went about. And I, I kind of visualize how that thing went off. And it's just amazing to me that one player can so dramatically the outcome of a result, Vinny. Uh, I, it, no matter how well, good, no got, matter how yeah. good the player is, I mean, this is a guy who who had 39 points that day. There's other, there's four other players who could still help Arizona State to a 15 point victory on that day, right? Yeah, and it's not just the uh, you know the unfortunate part again, uh, Mitch, is that uh, you know there's other players involved, but if if there's one player involved, then typically you know, and I believe there was more than one at the end of the uh, at the end yes. of the investigation yes. that uh, that came into play. But to, to your point and what happened uh, and, you know, what and the potential is, you know, it's not just an offensive aspect uh, to, uh, you know, to a player uh, that, that that could be involved. There's a defensive aspect as well. And again, you know, Smith was a, it was a terrific player. He was going to go on to the NBA. There was no question about it. He was going to he was going to uh, have an NBA career. He was that good. But unfortunately, uh he scored, and he and he pointed to the you know initially I think pointed to the fact yeah look at look at all the points I scored but again you can do things defensively uh, as well or not do things defensively uh, you know and uh, of course uh, uh, it it all it all comes to pass and, and the investigation uh, you know the ensuing investigation uncovered all this you know it's a shame because again he, he it wasn't even about basketball to begin with you've got kids on campus uh, even today right they get involved with different things maybe they shouldn't uh, could be credit card debt could be uh, you know playing cards or whatever the case may be and uh, unfortunately he got involved with something and thought he had a way to get out of it but uh, it, it all came uh, it all came out so Vinny, what do you think of all these leagues now finally getting into bed and embracing legalized gambling you've got professional franchises in Vegas are we on high alert could something like this happen again? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, for the longest time, we couldn't even advertise. I mean, I say we, Las Vegas, couldn't even advertise at the Super Bowl. Uh, you could not buy a 30 or 60-second spot at this on the Super Bowl, right? Of course, now we've got a team here about that and, you know, an NHL team here. Um, there was a time when there was no betting allowed on UNLV, uh, or yes. Nevada yes. Uh, Reno, or you know, and and so that that changed as well. And and why did it change? Is because, especially after the Arizona State uh, scandal, what what we would preach in the in the industry. So listen again. I go back to my point at the beginning of the conversation, is that we share in the same integrity. And if you if you're going to look into something, well, better to look into licensed, taxed, regulated operations that can can you know facilitate whatever it is that you you, you want to uh, look into and so could it happen again will, will people be tempted of course people are always going to be tempted mitch let's you know we we're you know we, we all know that uh for whatever reasons but when you think about it and it, i think it's more difficult today because if this happened you know back in 1994 think about how much more readily available information is today 
right? Social media alone. I mean, if something were inappropriate, it's very difficult to keep a secret. Uh, I mean, there, there's so much, not just every, first of all, a lot more is shown, uh, is televised now. Uh, but I just think that there's so much more scrutiny put on to these events. And frankly, there's a, a better education uh, being put out now to to players, both collegiately and professionally, to steer clear of, of certain situations. And it's not just the gambling side of it. I mean, there's obviously substances, substance abuse. These athletes, uh, you know, when you're a public figure, you're targeted all the time by, by you know, various aspects of, right. uh, of our society. So right. I think it's a lot more difficult today. But uh, listen, we're not going to be naive and, and say that nobody's going to be tempted because uh, if that were the case, uh, we'd all have wings. <laughs> Before you go, Vinny, I was reading up on you a little bit outside of this story, and I, I, I came upon an article where you talked about what I believe was your worst night as a, <laughs> a as a sports book operator was Tyson Holyfield. Tell oh. everybody in our audience the story and the bloodbath for you guys on Tyson Holyfield. Tyson Holyfield. Uh, when I when I refer to that, that was that was uh, you know uh, you know fighters sometimes get get knocked out in the ring. Uh, bookmakers got knocked out that <laughs> night. The, the, the night um, the Tyson hold the first Tyson Holyfield fight where Mike Tyson opened. As a substantial favorite, twenty Holyfield, to one. Twenty to one. Yep. I mean, now fortunately, they opened twenty to one at, at the host site, which at the time was the MGM uh, uh, Grand. Uh, I opened it even much lower. Oh. I think we opened it uh, like half that. And I'll never forget, Mitch. The first bet we took was on Tyson. Yes. I'll never forget. It was one hundred eighty-eight thousand. We yeah. took uh, by uh, a regular customer of ours who had cashed a ticket on another fight and said, just roll it over on uh, on Tyson for me. And, and I'll never forget, I was with uh, uh, my, my colleague, Rich Bachelary, and he looked at me, he says, I'm going to move the, I'm going to move it. I said, don't move it. I said, I don't know why, but just don't, don't raise higher. it. You're going to move it higher because of the, uh, we're going to move yeah. it higher because yeah. we took money on Tyson. I said, right. you know what? Some, don't do it. I don't know. I'm gonna, they're going to bet Holyfield in this fight. You know what? That just, and, and sure enough, we couldn't get a bet on Holyfield by the time uh, that, that fight uh, came about. Tyson. You, uh, couldn't, you couldn't get a bet on we, Tyson. You couldn't get a bet. We, got, on we couldn't get a bet on Tyson. We get very small. I mean, that was that was the biggest <laughs> bet we took on Tyson. Everybody in the world bet on Holyfield. They wanted to bet against Tyson, and uh, that fight actually really started uh, to uh, to show an interest in underdogs uh, in terms of boxing because Tyson was always a prohibitive favorite, and uh, of course, uh, you know the rest is history. And, and the reason was that that was the worst beating I ever took as, as a bookmaker. So, How much? Uh, How much? Oh, it, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, it, it exceeded a, a, a million uh, because, uh, and, and, and at that time, that was a lot. It's still a lot. I mean, you think about it, typically you always, you know, with between the, the fight itself and proposition bets, you know, who's going to, you know, uh, uh, by either fight or by knockout or decision, which round the fight's going to end in. You're always, you're always in a good spot to, you know, to, to come out ahead, but not that one, that one, uh, that one, that one, uh, I'm, I'm I'm so glad you brought it up, Mitch, because it uh, <laughs> just brings back such good memories. But you know what? You got to grin and bear it. You got to grin and bear it. If you if you're if you're prepared to take uh, people's money, you got to be prepared to bet them. You you, you pay them. You you tip your cap and know uh, know they're going to be back 
uh, to bet the next event, and they sure were. Vinny, it's great to have you. Great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for reminiscing, telling the story, an unfortunate story. I hope you'll come back on the show again soon. Mitch, appreciate the opportunity, my friend, and uh, good, uh, good luck to you and all the betters out there. When one of the nation's leaders in the mortgage business, Cross Country Mortgage, wanted to set up shop in Kirkland, they immediately called Mitch Unfiltered sponsor Jordan Flowers and acquired his entire team. So that's the way it's done. And here he is, the former East Lake and Washington State wide receiver, Jay Flo in the house. Hi, Jay Flo. Hey, how are you, Mitch? Mitch Thank the you kid. for the kind of Mitch, Mitch the, the kid. <laughs> Mitch the kid, the slicker. Oh, I love it. Uh, oh. How would you say the first year is going at cross country? And you've got a lot of news and notes on rates and limits and second homes. Lay that stuff on us. Yes, absolutely. Lots of news coming out. Interest rates are going up to get in front of the inflationary curve that we're all kind of seeing, experiencing, and hearing about in the news. Loan limits have gone up to 647000 nationally for a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac back loan. So anybody looking to buy a home in the 700000 range is looking yeah. at three to 5% down at this point, hoping to make home ownership more possible. And there are a lot of good estimations as far as even your home values increasing this year from the National Mortgage Bankers Association, five, six, 10% again in this market based off supply and demand. Jordan, if our homeowners are like me, they auto pay their mortgage every month and hardly ever take a look at their interest rates and opportunities to save money. So let's say I'm in year eight of a 30 year fix. I've got great credit. My rate's four and a half percent. All right. I want to stay in a 30 year. What can a seven minute call with either you or a member of your team yield me? Yes. Well, we can yield you several hundred dollars a month in savings, yeah. depending on what you want to do. If it's a 30 year fix you're looking for, rates are still much lower than four and a half. If you're looking at a 20 year, we can shorten the term and still save you two, three, four hundred dollars a month potentially. So we would look at 15, 20, 25 and 30 year options for you based on what your ultimate goals are. Phone number to reach you? 425-890-2957. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Give them a call. See what Jordan Flowers' team can do for you. If the answer is nothing, you're only out seven minutes. That's not a lot. We love Cross Country Mortgage. We love Jordan Flowers. Great sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 175, it's the other stuff segment, not John Scott. Your buddy Trey Flowers was in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if you were able to watch him, that. former Seahawk. Yes. He sent out a tweet that kind of bummed me out. I don't know if you saw his tweet or not. I did. But I did, but I came in in the middle. I don't know what he's complaining about. Explain it to me, please. Well, I, I think he was he was responsible for a 15-yard penalty on a punt. He interfered or did something kind of boneheaded on special teams and and he tweeted out, I wish all these 12s would leave me alone. Y'all got what y'all wanted. Because I guess people, Seahawks fans, are just hammering him on Twitter. Like, see, you suck. I'm glad you got cut. You're worthless. Whatever. It's like, what is what is wrong with fans? Why do they have to go tweet at strangers nasty shit? Like, I've never had, like, there's plenty of people I don't, I mean, I've been, I've been vocal about him. I didn't think he was a very good corner. I've never once tweeted at the man. Leave him alone. He's not even here anymore. What, what is that? Isn't that Why social media? That? Isn't that a social media problem more than it's a 2022 fan problem? If we didn't have social media, would we have that stuff? Everybody's a tough guy behind their computer. 
Isn't that right? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure if any of these people saw Trey Flowers on the street, they'd be begging him for yeah. a selfie and a, yeah. an autograph. And yeah. But, you know, on Twitter, it's okay to just shit on the guy for making a bad play. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't think he was a very good player. No, but I, I, I. Just, I don't think he needs that, though. No, God. enough. He's not. Let, <laughs> let, let it, got our pound of flesh. Let, right? it, let it go, right? Just, <laughs> just let it go. Did you see that the Baltimore Ravens fired their longtime defensive coach, I won't say longtime defensive coordinator because I only think he was defensive coordinator for the Ravens for the last four or five years, but he's been there for 10. In a surprising move, John Harbaugh dismissed or they agreed to separate Don Martindale, otherwise yes. known as Wink Martindale. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and all of a sudden, a new defensive coordinator candidate that we didn't think would be available mm. is available to the Seattle Seahawks, who, of course, let Ken Norton go. Now, I could get excited about Wink Martindale because of the style that he plays, but I'm not sure that the style that he plays fits with what Pete Carroll wants to do. Pete Carroll's kind of a 4-3 coach. Most people know what that means. Four down linemen, three linebackers. Yeah. Wink Martindale is more of a 3-4 guy, but Wink Martindale, and I'll give you the numbers here in a second. Okay. He is known for aggressive, blitzing, attacking oh. defenses. I'm all in. I'll have a hard time keeping my clothes on. I mean... That, <laughs> well, that, God, we can't hire him now. Forget that. Take to your house on Sundays. Is it, is, isn't that what we want? Don't we want somebody who's just going to be aggressive, pin their ears back, and... I mean, don't we want somebody who's going to blitz Jamal Adams? Haven't we all concluded that we need a defensive coordinator who's going to use him and kind of his his strengths, which is getting after the quarterback and getting him close to the line of scrimmage. Wink Martindale is that guy. Now, again, I don't know that it fits with what Pete Carroll's trying to do, but I'll just give you some numbers. You you, okay. you were going to say something? Yes. Yeah, well, tell me what Pete Carroll is trying to do again. Let let people catch the ball eight yards down the field. Is that is that his plan? Hire bad no. coordinators. That's what he's trying to do. I, I don't know. <laughs> all right, all right. I don't know what Pete Carroll... I, I just don't know that this fits okay. what he's trying to do. Maybe it is. Maybe Pete Carroll would say, hey... I like what Wink Martindale did in Baltimore all those years, and I want to bring yeah. him here, and I'll let him run his 3-4. I'll let him blitz, and we'll get after quarterbacks. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful because he's the first name of anybody that I've gotten excited about. Okay. Okay? And the reason I've gotten excited about him is because I like the style that the Ravens played, and I like the, I like the results. Now, I will say this. That in 2021, the Ravens had one of the worst defenses in the league. Probably one of the reasons why Wink Martindale is no longer affiliated with the Ravens. Now, okay. there's, there's some possible explanations to that. Three of their four starting defensive backs, including a couple of all pros, were lost to season-ending injuries. Okay. So well, you start you start there. Yeah. They had a rash of injuries, and it was a very bad defense this year. But let me give you some stats of the same defense in the three years leading up to this particular season, okay? Okay. In 2018, the Ravens under Wink Martindale were second in points allowed in the NFL, first in yards allowed in the NFL, and second in pass defense. And I'm using yards per attempt in pass defense. So okay. second in points, first in yards, second in pass in 18. In 19, third in points, fourth in yards, sixth in pass. In 20, second in points, seventh in yards, fourth in pass. 
So in those three years, 2018, 2019, 2020, they were no worse than seventh in any of those statistical categories. And they played an attacking, blitzing, aggressive style of defense. Well, if we weren't on a Zoom call, my clothes would probably be coming off too after hearing all that. That's pretty damn exciting. Good. That's good, right? Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah, that's good. Yes, I'll take it. Uh, boy, I yeah. hope that I hope that they're considering. I hope that they're at least going to have a meeting because this just seems too good to be true. Maybe it is. Too good. If that's it what I was going to ask good, you. Yeah, it probably is too good to be true, right? Like, yeah. is there something else? I mean, that we don't know. Typically, you, you wouldn't fault a coach for having a bunch of injuries, and uh, clearly, John Harbaugh didn't fire himself, right? I mean. He's like, there's got to be something going on there. Very popular with his players. Okay, good. All of his players love him. I don't know. Maybe there was something behind closed doors that we don't know about. Yeah, I'm just, I, I'm just saying that these numbers speak to me. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And his, his bullet points, the bullet points of his style speak to me as a Seahawks fan because I said to you before, I don't care who they hire as defensive coordinator. Can we do away with the bend, don't break defense? Can we stop giving up seven and eight yard passing plays on first down and playing nice. and playing 15 yards off of wide receivers? Can we get in somebody's face and send some extra linebackers and corners every once in a while? Get after the quarterback. And yes, I'm okay if we get beat deep a little bit more often, but right. can we just play a style of defense that you could get excited about as a fan? That's my only my only request. Yeah, is it possible to have a break, don't break defense at some point? Are we allowed to have that, or is that not a thing you're allowed to have? I mean, why do we have to bend? I don't, I don't want like, to bend. I don't like the bend. I don't I'm like not the Beckham. No, I, don't like, I don't want to bend it. I don't like the bend. Okay, last time we talked, you wanted to remind me, or you wanted me to remind you about the Issaquah girls basketball yes. varsity coach. Now, I mean, not everyone who listens knows where Issaquah, Washington is, but it's a town that I went to high school there. It's my exact high school, and it's near where we record. And the coach, Doug Crandall, lost his job, or at least was suspended from his job. And he says it's without any explanation at all. He doesn't know what he did. He's just not allowed on campus, not allowed to do anything. And there was a big outpouring of support from the parents and players and former players and former parents. And everybody who's said anything about the guy appears to love him. Like, yes, yes. You can't, you can't, it's hard to find anyone who said anything negative. I have a friend who I went to high school with his daughter played for him. He goes, I'd have my daughter play for that guy any day of the week. He was really? awesome. Right. He was called into some office like a district office or got called on the phone and was told you're no longer, or you're suspended and was not given a reason. So he says this, this story has now gained traction. It's been on the news. It's been on the radio. He's made the rounds a little bit. And he's going to be on this podcast next week. So I don't want to say too much. He'll yeah. be on episode 176 and we'll let him tell us the story. I I'm just going to give you my first emotion. I'm going to, and I this is not anything I will hide from him. I will tell him to this, this to his face. I have a hard time believing this story. Okay. I have a hard time believing that this man has literally no inkling, has no, there's absolutely nothing that he can think of as for a reason that maybe the reason is not fair, not valid, not justified. Maybe he needs to be reinstated as the as the coach at Issaquah. But I'm having a hard time believing that he's walking around right now out of a job or maybe headed to be out of a job suspended with absolutely no earthly idea what anybody's got a problem with. I got a hard time believing that. But all it takes is one pissed off parent to complain about something they didn't like that you didn't think twice about. Of course. And they have to listen to everything because we're talking about minors, right? Yes. I mean, they have to listen to every complaint. Yes. So I think there's a chance that he, maybe he said something that offended a kid or yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, and, who knows? And I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying 
I got a hard time believing that he doesn't have any idea yeah. of what it is that's caused the suspension. Right. I understand what I, you're saying. I, I, and I believe- I'm telling you he could say something and not even know that he offended someone. I'm saying it's possible that he could I, I, go through this and not even have any idea what he said. I've never heard of an employer or a district or anybody suspending somebody without giving any explanation. It, it doesn't almost make sounds any illegal, sense. doesn't it? It's it, like it's awful. You know what it sounds? It sounds impossible to yeah. me. It sounds impossible. That's why I'm having a hard time getting my arms around the subject. Listen, we invited him on. He'll be on episode 176. He'll tell us his version of the story, and I'll throw a few things at him, and we'll see what happens. But for now, that, but for now, he's not—he's not the coach of the Issaquah girls team anymore. It's got to be torture. Yeah, just like, just at least tell me what I did. And by the way, I feel bad. I was not five feet from the man on Sunday, and I didn't introduce myself. Oh, you should. Even though we've exchanged a few messages, but oh, you should. He—he he was talking to all kinds of people, and I didn't want to bother him. And anyway, I look forward to hearing what he has to say on the podcast. There you go. John Stockton's in the news. Hot shot, Scott. Oh, he is. Yes, John Stockton. Familiar. The most famous. Name and face in the history of Gonzaga basketball is no longer invited to the games. We have a political issue on our hands. John Stockton, who was a a longtime season ticket holder and was a star at Gonzaga before they were the the organization and the program that they are now, they have revoked his season tickets. I think his kids might have played their daughter and son. I, I know it. Yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so he had a son who came there after going somewhere else, and I think he had a daughter who played there. That's exactly right. I think that's yeah. right. So he's a huge fan. I mean, and he's always seen in the, in the stands. Whenever they go on a run, they pan to the crowd, and there's John Stockton, and that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is you're able to recognize John Stockton in the stands because he wears no mask. Right. And they are mandating that all fans wear a mask during the pandemic. And John Stockton has refused to wear a mask. And they've asked him, please, sir, Mr. Stockton, wear a mask. Yeah. And he doesn't believe in it. He doesn't believe in the vaccine. And it's become a huge political thing. He will not wear a mask. And they have then since they say we have no other recourse but to ask you not to come to Gonzaga basketball games. That's where we are on the John Stockton story. Now, look. I know that this is becoming a uh, a very uh, a lightning rod segment, yeah, so I'm not going to do anything more. That's why I'm laughing because uh, it's just. Are we really doing this? No, we're not going to do this. <laughs> I'm just bringing it up for discussion. But yeah. here's my favorite part of the story. As I okay. giggle a little bit, was the quote that he gave. So he did an interview with the local Spokane newspaper to explain okay. why he hasn't been at Gonzaga basketball games, in which he said, "Listen, I'm not allowed to go anymore. They took away my season tickets because I won't wear a mask." Okay. He then went on to say the following. Do you know the quote that I'm going to give you? No. He said the following to the newspaper. Quote, I think it's highly recorded now. There's 150. It's over 100 at least. Athletes that are dead. Professional athletes in the prime of their life that are dropping dead vaccinated right on the pitch, right on the field, and right on the, co- on the court. John Stockton, John Stockton said there's between 100 and 150 professional athletes that have dropped dead while playing because of the vaccinations. Now, I don't know where you stand on this issue. It doesn't matter whether you're on the right or on the left. Can you please name one of the 150 people 
that apparently in the prime of their career have dropped dead on a field because of the vaccination or dropped dead on a court? Do I know these professional athletes or these NBA players? How, how, how have I missed these stories? I mean, I do, I do Mitch unfiltered. You think that I would know the story by now for God's sake. I mean, wouldn't that be news? Yes. Like in, in my lifetime, I can on, I mean, we're making jokes, but I can think of one player collapsing in my life and that was Hank Gathers. That's right. That was 89. Reggie, Reggie Lewis. Okay, we're at two. And that was before the... Co- I mean, that's a big story if an athlete collapses. And by the way, dies? Like, wouldn't we know of 100 professional athletes who are dead from... He said, yeah. he said, he said, John Stockton <sighs> said that 100 to 150 professional athletes... Yeah. ...because of the vaccine have died in their prime, dropping dead on the soccer field on the baseball field, on the football field, and on the basketball court. So far, it's been between 100 and 150, and these are well-documented professional oh, yeah. athletes that have died. Okay, good. Uh, okay, I, I'm not going to say any more about the story yeah. except for that quote. You can, yes, you're raising your finger. You speak. Well, you, yeah. your buddy Detlef Shrimp would like to chime oh, in if oh, you don't would. mind. Sure. I, sure. I just happened to see this on Twitter. I this wasn't is, searching for this anything. This is UW athlete, former athlete, Detlef Shrimp talking about Gonzaga athlete, John Stockton. Go ahead. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Uh, this is his tweet word for word, not yeah. mine. Yeah. Bat shit crazy, period. <laughs> I am so disappointed we have so many role models not up to the task, period. This is not helping, exclamation point. And that was the entire tweet. Now, of course, you have people down the line that say, glad he's standing up for what he believes in, which more yeah. people had the guts. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of role models, you yeah. know, I wish you would have, you know. So, yeah, it's very. Look, it's, I'm it's sure just, I got myself in trouble by even bringing it up. But I think it's. Oh, a yeah, sto- you did. Look, it's Mitch Unfiltered, and it's a story if John Stockton isn't allowed to go to Gonzaga basketball games. Yeah. A, that's a story. No matter where you fit politically on this story. It's a story that needs to be talked about that John Stockton has been outlawed from Gonzaga basketball games. That's number one. It's also a story that apparently 100 to 150 athletes in their prime have dropped dead, and I don't know of one. That's a story, okay? And if I'm the author of that article that's doing the story, did he ask to name one? You know, my parents used to say, there are start when I didn't finish my meal. What is, what was the thing? Starving people in China or something? That's right. Yeah, it was always China. We were always yeah. starving. You know, they're starving people. They're starving children in China. And when yeah. I got a little shrewd, I got a little older. I would say, name one. <laughs> right. And they couldn't do it. Why didn't yeah. the author of the article say to John Stockton, "Can you name one of the one hundred to one hundred and fifty that have dropped dead on the field?" He was very slick to put in soccer because there's all kinds of soccer leagues around. That I don't the world know about. That, maybe that we don't know about. Maybe, That's right. Yeah, I don't know. Could really be affecting these professional soccer leagues around the world. I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, no matter what side you fall in on, come on, that's you don't fun. Get, but you don't just get to make up shit. Like <laughs> that's part of the story too, right? I mean, come on. No fair-minded listener of ours thinks 100 to 150 people or I professional don't athletes in their prime have dropped dead from the vaccine. Whether you like it or not, that's I'm not talking about that. No one thinks what he said is true. <clears throat> Remember, they haven't dropped dead in hotel rooms or in their family rooms or in their living rooms. They've <laughs> dropped dead while playing in their sport. But- it's happened 100 and 150 times in the last two years. We've lost yeah. 150 athletes in the middle of games. We've, right. And I've not heard of one. Right. I've or not seen heard a of video. One. I mean, it, aren't all professional sporting events video? I don't want to see the video. It's, it's, but aren't, it's morbid. Aren't, I don't want to see the video. Aren't they all taped? I mean, yeah. they're all on TV. They're all being recorded. We'd uh, see 150 videos. I, don't, I can't even look at injuries. I don't want to see people yeah. dying. I don't want to see 150. I'm not saying dying. you want to. I'm saying they would exist. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, 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 turns out we like to record professional sports is what I'm saying. I don't know. 
All right. All right, I got two quick RIPs. Yeah. I mean, they're not quick, but Louis Anderson. Oh, what my What do you think about God. Louis Anderson? I'm a fan. Terribly sad. Yeah, Terribly sad. sad to hear the news. Yeah. And Meatloaf, right? You're going to do Meatloaf and Louis Anderson? They died on the same day, right? The same yeah, morning, right? Yeah, those two. It was like yeah. the same morning, right? Yeah. So Louis Anderson, if you don't know who he is, you'd probably recognize him. Oh, He's a bigger knows. guy. He's got the space between oh, his teeth. Of course. Yeah. He had blood. Uh, he battled with blood cancer. He'd been battling it. And while not clear when he was diagnosed, he was recently being treated for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in a Vegas hospital and just right. kind of went downhill. Right. Uh, he lost the battle Friday morning. But I got to say, personally, I was so happy he was in Coming to America too. Do you remember him in Coming to America, the first one? Yeah, he was behind the counter or something. Right, I'm, trying to, I'm right. trying to remember, yep. right? Was he a fast food cashier or something, he, right? He, yeah. he worked at McDowell's, the McDonald's knockoff. Remember yeah. McDowell's? Yeah. And he even says in the first one, you know, in three months, I'll be on fries. And then I'm, maybe another month, I'm, I'm at the cash register. Yeah. Who knows? In six months, I might be assistant manager. And then they make part two, and 30 years later, he's still working there. I just thought that was that was so beautiful. But he also played Zach Galifianakis' mom in the TV show yes, Baskets. He yes, he did. Yeah. And I think he won some Emmys for that. Yeah. It was incredible. So that kind of resurrected his career. So I'm glad he got that. That I'm glad he got to experience that later in his life. A great, great comic, too. He's uh, he's in the top 100 best stand-ups of all time by Comedy Central. Oh, really? So he will, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he will yeah. be missed. He's a yeah. very, very talented comic. Funny guy. Funny guy. I'm sorry to hear that news. And then there was yeah. Meatloaf. Yeah, he died Thursday night. He was supposed to attend a business dinner earlier for a show he's working on called I'd Do Anything for Love. You yeah, understand sure, why. Sure. But the dinner was canceled because he became seriously ill with COVID. Sources say that his condition quickly became critical. And Meatloaf was one of the great rock singers of all time. I'm not personally the biggest fan in the world, but the Bad Out of Hell that came out in 1977 sold around 65 million copies, which is nothing to sneeze at for one record. And you're not a fan, why? I don't know. I think I just missed him. I, for some reason, I, I don't know this to be true. You could probably answer it. You grew up on the East. I feel like he was bigger on the East Coast for some reason. I just don't feel like I knew anyone that was a huge Meatloaf fan growing up. I, maybe he was right. a little before my time, but right. insanely talented guy. I mean, he did Broadway. He, yeah. You know, he won a Grammy for for uh, best solo rock for vocal performance. And, you know, his real name, name was Marvin Lee Aday, and he got the name because of a delicious meal. And his football coach named him Meatloaf because of his weight. So... That's how he got the name. And if, if you spelled his name with one word, he'd punch you. My first name is Meat. My last name is oh, Loaf. I didn't Don't know that. get it wrong. Jesus. That's right. He was also in, uh, do you remember him in Fight Club? He acted, yeah, too. He was in Fight yes, Club. Yes, he, he was in a few movies, right? The yes. Rocky Horror Picture Show yes. was a big one. Yes, and, uh, I yeah. did know that, yeah. And before anyway. you get off of the, that subject and do your last, your, your last stories or your last headlines, while you're on the uh, topic of music, does anything go through your mind when you're watching football and you keep seeing these Applebee commercials with the song, with the Cheers theme song? Yes, I I couldn't believe I heard it. I was like, wow, just another dollar for our buddy Mr. God Portboy, Almighty! Right? I, I mean, good it's, for him. There's there's got to be three, four, five of these things, and they play a lot of the song. I, I I'm hoping that they're paying the guy a fortune for using the team. It's just it just it's the cash register that keeps on registering, keeps sure on dinging, right? unbelievable it's the gift that keeps on giving let's not forget that he gets a check but then the three backup singers get checks too you remember the three backup singers don't you they would be gary portnoy (laughs) gary portnoy and gary portnoy that's right genius yes absolute genius so he's he's cashing in four ways absolutely all right i got some headlines for you if you do these and get out of here Go ahead. yeah police in ireland are investigating reports that the body of a dead man was brought to a post office in an attempt to collect his pension Still unclear how police were able to tell the difference between the dead man and the post office employees who were working there. 
Not always known for being Charlie Hustle. Australian woman found a scorpion in package of broccoli. And yet, faced with that choice, I think I'm still eating the scorpion over the broccoli, if I had to choose. The world's smallest park returns to <laughs> Portland, Oregon. The park, which measures about two feet wide, with a total surface of 452 square inches. Uh, wait, sorry, check that. It was just lit on fire, looted, vandalized, and completely oh, destroyed. Jesus. So never mind, it's not there anymore. <laughs> a woman flasher yeah. at a motorsport event in California oh. sparked something of a heated debate that then spilled over into what appeared to be violence. Oh. One woman appeared to take umbrage with the fact that there were children in attendance and therefore saw the woman's act as completely inappropriate. No arrests have been made yet, and police say they're going to need at least a few more weeks to review the footage. <laughs> and finally, a 25-year-old Tennessee woman was arrested after allegedly chopping her dad in the arm three times Ooh. with an axe Ooh. and forgiving her grandpa a black eye. Come to think of it, I think my daughter Piper should have all the screen time she wants going forward. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs this shit when she's 25, oh, right? Oh, <laughs> dear. All right, so what do we've got? We've got the AFC Championship game. That will match the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how they came back and won it. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Chiefs are a six and a half point favorite. And we've got an NFC West NFC Championship game. You know, the Niners seem to own the Rams. Can they do it one more time? The Niners at the Rams. The Rams are a three and a half point favorite. Go ahead. For Seahawks fans, we beat the Niners twice. We beat them twice. We so, can even make the playoffs, and we beat this team twice. Why? So, will the Rams, after having lost the last six games in a row to the 49ers, by the way, the Rams are in a position to host both the NFC Championship game and then the Super oh, Bowl. Boy, it's all set up, isn't so it? So, give me your two. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl in three weeks' time? Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Uh, it's going to be the Rams. It just feels like that and kind of season for them. Rams Chiefs? Yeah, it's probably going to be Rams Chiefs. Although I don't know if I necessarily want that. I mean, who doesn't love Joey Burrow? Are you, are you, are you, are you root for that guy or what? Oh, I think everybody's going to be rooting for Cincinnati because this is the fourth consecutive or fifth consecutive year hey. that the Chiefs are hosting the AFC Championship yeah. game. I think we love Patrick Mahomes. We love Andy Reid, but we've seen enough of them. We want new blood, right. right? So I think the world outside of Kansas City would be rooting for the underdog. Well, uh, Joey Burrow, but I I think it's going to be Chiefs and Rams. I thought it was going to be Chiefs Packers, but I will say this: I've said it from the beginning, and I'll stand by it. When the Rams had that off season and they acquired Matthew Stafford, I thought, God, Matthew Stafford, those running backs, those receivers, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Jalen Ramsey, how are they not the most balanced team in the NFL? I thought that from the beginning, and then they would have these weeks. Where they were terrible. Right. And, I, and I, I, there was no explanation that Matt right. Stafford was terrible. Everybody was terrible on the team. So I, I didn't understand those weeks. And now it seems like they've returned to the team that I thought that they were going to be. It, it, will it be enough to be their division, their division mate, the 49ers? I think it will be, even though they, they can't beat the 49ers. I, I, I got to believe they're going to beat them this weekend. I, I totally they're gonna agree. Beat them. They're going to beat Jimmy. Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be in the Super Bowl in three weeks. Please. Please. I know. I it's can't not going to happen. Yeah. It's they, not going to happen. They should have beat the Bucks' ass. It should not have been close. Correct. I mean, four, four turnovers is going to always keep the other team in it. And they beat the Bucks' ass at the beginning of the season when they played them in the regular year. They killed them. They, right. they, I think they only won by 10, but they're way ahead. So they, they've essentially wiped the field clean with the Bucks. 
two times yeah. this year. Now they can't beat the 49ers, so they have to get over that mental hurdle. But I think it's going to be the Rams and the Chiefs. And I think if it is the Rams and the Chiefs, I think that's going to be a hell of a game. Hell of yeah. a game to anticipate. Hell of a Fun. game to bet. Hell of a game to pick. I think it'll be, a, you know, kind of a toss-up. Maybe the Chiefs would be the, the slight favorite, but I think it would be an any any team's game kind of a Super Bowl. I don't know. I, I think it would be a good matchup, uh, the, the Rams and the Chiefs. Boy, I'm sure rooting for Joe Burrow. Remember when he won the Heisman and he, he was talking about the, the food bank at his hometown? And of course. Yeah. I, I mean, it just seems like this incredible guy. He took his lumps. I mean, he, he took lumps in the last game. I mean, he's getting sacked left and right. And I just would love for him to kind of be vindicated. Like, yes, I won the Heisman yeah. and you, you picked me, you know, I, I just I told you I'd do it for you, and now I'm doing it. I'm just rooting for right. Joe Burrow. It would be awesome. You know, if the Bengals play the 49ers in the Super Bowl, you'd have a rematch. Oh, Tim Crumry? Yeah. God, how do you? <laughs> Every once in a while, I throw oh. one in there, and you just go, what the hell? Uh. I just remember, speaking of injuries, oh, ugh, that oh. keeps showing that. Oh, God. God. One of the all-time. That was a great Super Bowl, though, right? Yeah. That was James really Taylor. I mean, not J- John Taylor. Right? <laughs> I prefer James Taylor, but yes. <laughs> okay. That's enough. Chris Collinsworth, I think, too, maybe on that team. Episode 175, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, is in the books. Enjoy the championship games.